Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. When I dropped that buck off uh, Sunday afternoon, I told the processor, I was like, man, I, if there's anything left of the heart, I want the heart and I want the lungs. I said, I don't care what kind of shape they're in. As long as you can give me a good chunk of them, I want the lungs. Shoot, you should have asked for the heart and the liver so Jim can make you some of them boudin balls. I should have, but I didn't know about these awesome boudin balls. Anyway, regardless. A lot of, hold on. Well, I'll interrupt you. You can make, I make the boudin basically out of anything that's scrap. And heart's really good, but. You know, after you fry a part so many times, it's like, oh, fried heart. And I've done marinated heart. I've done a whole bunch of ways. I just don't want to see it go to waste. So usually I'll either put it in dirty rice or I'll use it in boudin or I'll use it in some other way. Everybody's like, oh, my God, that was really good. As opposed to saying, oh, my God, it's organs. Oh, I'd love to put some heart in dirty rice. I bet that is really good. Do you cook it down or you do chop it up really fine? If I'm doing dirty rice. There you go. Um, if I've got a grinder handy, I'll just grind it. And I'll take the liver and run everything else through the grinder, too, you know, and that. And they just put it in dirty rice. And sometimes I make the dirty rice from scratch. And other times, man, I cheap out Zadaran's boom. But um, in hunt camp, usually I sit there with a knife and I just dice it up real fine. And I actually, believe it or not, I prefer it that way. It's just so much work to dice it up. Mm-hmm. But in the boudin, you cut everything up into like one inch cubes. You get, add you, your, get you a slap chop. I, <laughs> dude, I use a slap chop for vegetables. <laughs> I admit, man, I can do it with a knife, but I mean, the slap chop thing is like, whack, whack, done. Yeah. <laughs> I use, actually, I don't use the slap chop. I use the, it's got like a little cubicle grate, and you, you just cut oh, it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whack, whack, whack. You know, yeah. and next thing you know, you got these perfectly square little onions, and I, I do that um, just because I'm lazy. Takes a lot of time out of your day doing that. Yeah. Well, it would do when I, truthfully, I, I would be, I'm not like a great cook or chef or anything, but onions and things like that, I'll bet you. If you and I sat, well, unless somebody's got some skills, it's not, it doesn't really save you any time with the onions. It's just, I don't know, man. It's just free. So whatever is, it's easy. Gordon Ramsay said he spent a year and a half in Italy just cutting up onions at a restaurant. I'll bet he got fast at it too. Yeah. Dude, when I see those guys go whack, 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 I'm like, if I do that, I don't have four fingers. He said he wanted to master the art of onion. That's actually like, you can look it up. He's, he's pretty serious about his onion mm-hmm. game. <laughs> So back to what I was saying a minute ago, when I dropped that deer off, I told him that I wanted the the heart and the lungs, whatever was left of it. I couldn't tell where I hit because I hit him a little high and he was quartered to me. So I think the the heart should be safe. I know I caught some lungs. I know I got some liver. 
but the bullet didn't go out the other side. Definitely got some guts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bet he didn't go anywhere, though, did he? 50 he didn't. Yards. 30, 40 yards, yeah. They can't tow the muzzleloader ball. No. He wasn't, but 40 so, yards when I shot him. I guess we're starting this. Well, let, let me let me, yeah. let me me finish what I was saying. And I didn't have the heart to tell the guy. He's like, what are you going to do with lungs? He's like, oh, gator bait. I didn't have, to tell, I have the heart to tell the guy that some of it's going to be gator bait. Some of it might end up in a sandwich. The you got the lungs? I, when I go pick it up here and in a few days, I'll have some. He said he can some. give us a bunch of lungs. Yeah. Let's not get carried away. Now, now <laughs> the, the, carried away with banking gator bait and stuff like that, that's yeah. perfectly fine. Because you can freeze those suckers and use them next year. Use, when hog, hog, use hog lungs. It's, 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 it has the fats and it's different than a deer. Yeah. And it's more oily on the water. I believe that. Will, that we just need sense. you to march a hog out in front of us and we'll take care of that. Yeah, yeah right. I, I can do that. The, the hogs that came through last time uh, we were all out together uh, were moving a little too quick to get a shot at. Jordan scared me away with a good turd. Mock bacon. Yeah, <laughs> I did do that. Now, to go and tell the story of the deer itself, I feel like we need to start Friday morning where we sat at the ramp until... 6.45 because it's pouring rain. <laughs> it was closer to 7, I thought. Uh, 6.45, 7 o'clock. The sun was barely coming up Yeah, uh, when we left the ramp. I was gator hunting that morning. But I seen that, that one. was good. It was a good gator. but And I must have cast five foot from him. If not, if maybe even closer than that. I cast it all around that sucker. That's the story of your life, isn't it? Yep. When it comes to gator hunting. We're never going to get to this deer. <laughs> no. But uh, <laughs> we still got stuff from McNutt too to talk about too after this. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get around to all eventually. Uh, but Friday morning we get out there, we sat, we waited for the rain to quit, drank plenty of coffee and and uh, copious amounts of caffeine. Hit the woods, and then Jordan, you know, he's like, I scouted this. This is the easiest way onto this island. Uh, this this is how we got to do it. <clears throat> so we go in that way. We break an immense amount of brush with climbers on our back. It was like a mediocre. <laughs> Amount of brush. It wasn't. He's given himself a lot of credit. It was rough. He's thinner than you are. Yeah, he is yeah. very much. And his climber's smaller. Um, so <laughs> we bust all this brush to get in there. And then we started walking out towards the center. And I said, man, I said, it's a little late to try and sit somewhere now. I said, let's just follow this. I want to walk to the other side where we can see some heavier hardwoods. I had also onyx got it a little bit. So I said, I, there's some oaks on this side. I said, if we walk another to this trail, we figured out the trail was like another 200 yards. So if we walk to this trail, it takes us to where we want to go, and we need to check out those oaks. Dump the climbers, walk that way, get over there on the edge, jump a deer. Don't know what it was. Just know it was a deer. Head off into the hardwoods. Find some of the biggest, most beautiful dang live oaks I've seen in the woods in Florida. Acorns should be everywhere, but of course, you know, the water's pretty high, so... I don't know if they're worth a dang. The ground was real wet, but regardless, plenty of food in there for those deer. And then go back out. And I was like, man, there's got to be an easier way on the island because there's some markers on that side, but whatever else. We follow a trail. And now, mind you, I'd asked Jordan earlier in the week, he's like, did you drive all the way around the island? He says, yeah. I said, okay. And that's the easiest way in, yeah. So we go and we walk down this trail, find it, and it's a, a road covered in water. I said, I bet this road goes all the way out to the all the way out to the lake. I said, Are you sure you drove all? That? I said, well, I didn't drive to this side of the island. <laughs> I was like, Oh, so we go get in the boat, come around the we literally drove the boat up the road all the way to where it got dry. Didn't have to break a single <laughs> bit of brush, nothing. 
And then uh, <clears throat> we went back out Friday afternoon and jumped a buck going in Friday afternoon. Don't know it if was it was visibly shootable running away. Yes. And so I, we decided to sit right there where we jumped him, move off the move off the side of the trail, get up in some pine trees and sit. Sat Friday afternoon, didn't see nothing. Left the climbers. Mind think. you, when he says sit, we sat uh, like what ten feet from each other, just as far apart as we were when I shot that deer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we sat and thank God left my climber there Friday afternoon because had I not, after going through the monster jam with my son Saturday night. And not going hunting, getting back at 11.30, having to wake up at 3.30 in the morning, not getting to bed, like three hours of sleep, three and a half hours of sleep. If I had not left my climber on that island, I would not have got out of bed that morning. And I did. And I drank a lot of caffeine. And I hit the woods. And, you know, this is the only time you'll ever hear me say this. Thank God for the mosquitoes. Because yeah. they kept me awake. <laughs> they were wretched, son. Awful. Thermocell was on, and that did not phase them an ounce. Say so some thermocell resistant ones. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're hundred percent. Yeah. Oh yeah. no, I tell you what, I looked, I looked into it. Thermocell switched away. They use some all natural crap now. It's not they're adapting. Thermocell got rid of the good stuff. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wasn't you say so you can soak the old pads in? I'm fixing to start making my own out of permethrin. Yep. Which yeah. I think is what they used to use. Now they use it's a, probably a lethrin, kind of dangerous which is to bleed, breathe that in. I'm pretty sure they used to use permethrin. Now they use alethrin, which is a, a, they call it natural, but it's a, a it, it's a, chemi- uh, it's a don't work as good stuff. Well, it mimics what uh, chrysanthemums give off. All right, chrysanth- chrysanthemums, the little ball flower, they keep mosquitoes away. I still got a bottle of the uh, 100% DEET from Vietnam. Oh, I made I made permethrin spray after me and Jordan went out to the woods up here and got covered in chiggers, and that kept the ticks and stuff off us. Yeah, you you take one drop of that and just wipe <clears> it across <throat> your forehead, you're good. It goes numb. You go, <laughs> you, you, go, you go two drops and you like run a fever. It's <laughs> some good stuff. It's though. like some Mad Hatter type stuff. It's 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 pretty bad. But, the old the old thermocells, man. They were the old stuff was awesome, man. You turn. You could be sitting in a blind that was just full of mosquitoes. You know how they gather in there? Yeah. And you turn that thing on, and you'd see them all bailing, like running from the stuff. Now, mm, like you said, it's better than sitting out there without it. But I, it's I nowhere as near as good as it used to be. I don't know that it would have made a difference if I hadn't had it on Sunday morning. Man, they were. Bad. I mean, I had my face covered up with my with my hoodie and my hood pulled over, my hand stuck in my pocket just yeah, trying to hide I'll from tell mosquitoes. You when, when I didn't have my face covered... They were biting my ass cheeks. <laughs> and if I uncovered my face, they stopped biting my butt. You're the only one of us that hunts an assless chaps, though. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Well, I got to say, it's Florida. You got to stay warm or cool somehow. They said same, same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, about 720-ish, I had that, that buck stepped out on me the first time. He said little buck, little buck. Off to my right. Well, all I could see was that one jacked up side of his rack, so I thought it was a spike. And then he went off where I couldn't see him. And Jordan, you know, he's, where's the buck at? I said, he's gone. He went off where I, he's he's gone. And then he came back out probably 10 minutes later and uh, started walking across in front of us. And Jordan's like, he's got brow tons. I say he's got a 10-inch main beam. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I could, the way he walked out, he was on William's side. So he was closer to William. And then 
he looked up at us and he looked away real quick and I threw my muzzle loader up and zoomed in on him. He wasn't that far, but I wanted to get a good look on his horns. And I could see that one side had those three points with a solid brow tine. I was like, Dunzo. You're William's a great like, younger brother. Because I'm telling you, if I'd been out there with William, despite the fact I didn't know when I punched out that doe that you had never killed a Florida deer, I wouldn't give it a damn. You'd <laughs> that, still well, be deerless. So we, we had already <laughs> previously agreed that the first one, if we when we sat there together, we'd already previously agreed that it was his birthday weekend, so he was going to get the first buck. First dibs. Yeah. Don't happy, get me wrong. Happy had birthday. I, I'll give you a backstrap. Yeah. Had, had, there, <laughs> had there been any inclination that I had missed that deer, there would have been a second. Boom! Yeah. <laughs> George's muzzle loader. <laughs> For the record, I'm playing, man. I felt once I realized that you'd never killed a deer. I didn't know that, that you had not killed a Florida deer. You didn't make, to your credit, you didn't whine about it. You didn't make nothing. I'm out there on your tag. Doe tag, doe walks out, whammo. I just dropped it because it's public land. They're hard enough to kill. But And I don't think you would have gotten to you anyway. But Not going to lie. I then I that, felt a little bad about it a year later when I found out you still hadn't killed a Florida deer. I, was like, I, I, thought, that was, I thought that was my year when, when Jim, I had, I had doe tags for Rock Springs. Like, this is my year, bud. This is my <laughs> year. Don't take a killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. 45 minutes into the first hunt of the season. <laughs> These tags that we had, I was telling Briar earlier, I kind of started telling Briar, I was like, save for the podcast. But uh, I told Briar, I was like, man, it's kind of crazy because this is the first year that I've really, you know, I've sporadically here and there kind of gone tone a climber up hunted in Florida. But I've, this is the first year I've actually taken hunting in Florida seriously. And so... We got this spot, and I kind of hit up some people that I knew had hunting in that area before. And I was like, listen, this is a really, really large area to hunt. Like, where should I start my searching? And they were like, here. So that's why I went and scouted. And then, obviously, my scouting wasn't the best. But <laughs> it gave it, us an idea of what the island was going to look like. Yeah, it got us where we needed to be. Yeah. Not, not, I'll give it that. And uh, uh, I'm not complaining. I, I, But I told Brower, I was like, I don't know if it was just me, but like outside of the emotions, like the excitement, I said that was a like an extremely emotional moment for me. Yeah, 100%. Because it was like I had not only did we put in all that work and then you harvested that deer, but I told Brower, I was like, I had... Oh, I mean, we used to go to the woods all the time as kids, and then you went to the army, and you were gone for eight years, and this is our first year, like really, deer hunting together again, and then to just be like right there for that, literally was, ten feet away. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, and then we endured the suffer dragging him back together. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan was more excited than I was to get down and go check it. He's like, I'm ready to get down wherever you are. I'm like, dude, it's been 20 minutes. Like, the deer is dead. We watched yeah. him fall. Like, yeah. He stopped and then let just kind of stumbled back and <clears throat> fell over. And I was like, yes. I said, we both have a tag. If another one steps out, let's double up on this thing. It's going to be brutal to drag them both, but let's double up. I mean, we sat from, we sat till nine o'clock. Yeah. It was still kind of a true public land story, too, because before the sun even came up, we had got in there super, <laughs> yeah, we had got in there super early. Because I had told William, we already knew there were going to be other people there because we had seen them before on Friday. So we got in super early. And uh, I think we got on land at, what, 4.45? Something like that. Yeah. And uh, wandered in, got our spot. We knew we were going to be sitting there. William's on his phone. 
and I hadn't, I had turned mine off because I figured if I was on my phone, the mosquitoes attacked me more because of my phone light. So I looked to my left and I told him, I said, turn your phone, turn your phone, turn your phone. He said, what? I said, look back to the left. There's a headlight coming along the other side of that cut. And I was like, son of a gun. So he wanders just kind of on the other side of the cut from us. We're in one corner. He's kind of in the other. Uh, and then I see him fumbling around for a while. Finally gets his light cut off and everything. William shoots that buck. And he says, is that orange right there? I pull out binoculars. And I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. That is, that's that guy that had his light on this one. <laughs> he was, we could see the I other mean, guy. He was, from he was a good 400 yards away. Yeah. <clears throat> but <clears throat> he totally had no idea we were there, though. If you're listening, uh, I'm not sorry that I scared the piss out of you when I shot that deer because <laughs> I know I did. I, I hope he, I hope he seen the fire and the big poof of smoke. Yeah. He was facing away from us. That's the worst part of it. He, he yeah. was facing opposite direction. You looked at him through the uh, the binoculars. You could see that it was the back of his climber. You could only see like the corner of his vest where he was leaning around the side of the pine tree. You know that after that muzzleloader went off that close though, even it's three four hundred yards. It's still close enough that it caused a little minor depression. You're like, oh, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so close, but so far. No, it was major depression. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we probably had to deduce. We got to yeah. go around and tell who's here. It, the, oh, yeah, go ahead. So uh, we're here tonight. I guess this is what the captain goes west, the deuce. This is yeah. third time. Right? Third time on the second. Well, yeah, third time here, but second time in Colorado on the elk hunt. Ah, yes, second second elk, second so, time, second time trying. But uh, I, I'm your host, Will Krebs. I'm here tonight. I got Jordan with me. I'm here. Let's get it. I got Jim. Yes, sir. I got Briar. Hey, yeah. And we've got Captain Will McNutt back in the studio. To man, he's a fishing captain, but he's you've come in here more now to talk about elk hunting. Yeah. He had to talk about fishing. Well, well y'all, y'all, y'all originally asked me the question like, what did I like to do better? But I mean, my attitude towards life at this moment it, it tells the story of like what really gets me going because i'm fired up man i mean th- this time of the year it's got to be i mean look we're just in there just rambling on about everything i mean the elk are finishing up their rut mule deer are coming down off the high elevation out of the mountains coming down they're getting ready to rut every whitetail in the country is either in rut or thinking about it you know and, i mean my hounds are chewing at the gate Saturday morning is break out the brownings. There's going to be gold yeah. triggers everywhere. You know, it's open, it's open the morning of general gun season here in zone C. Yeah. I mean, it's just a amazing time of the year. So does the fishing slow down this time of year to where you get to oh, go hunt or no? The people slow down. Right. Everybody, everybody wants their Instagram picture, but they don't want to be out there with a hoodie on right now. <laughs> the best time. It's not best time for the weather because the wind's blowing, but it's the, the fishing right now is it, it is the best it's been all year. Oh well, hell, last time we went fishing, you the wind was blowing like hell. We still managed to put a bunch of fish in the boat. Yeah. Oh yeah, but but yeah, it was it was early in the year. It just it's the cooler weather. Yeah, cooler weather just does something to them. But it's the fishing is remarkable right now. It's hard to explain how good it is, but you can't you can't even convince anybody to want to go. What are you catching? I was gonna say, dude, I've seen some really good stuff come across your Instagram lately. Yeah, I mean the uh, the, the grouper, like the, the big grouper, they've yeah. really kicked off. And you know, like the snapper and stuff we worked on, and our trigger fish is just, I mean, it's 
it's re- uh, th- they're remarkable. I mean, there's I know captains that are telling their customers to stop because they don't want to clean anymore. <laughs> like it's it's just been that good. And the like in our amberjack game, like all the big breeder fish are around. So like instead of your average, you know, twenty two pound, they're averaging forty, you know, and, and up. So it's it's just it, it's really good fishing right now. So you went back to colorado this year you go with the bow again this year yeah yeah it's i, I still haven't uh acquired enough preference points to get any good rifle tags yet and i'm so focused on whitetail right now i don't want to go back and you know do an over-the-counter rifle hunt late season well what the hell do you need rifle tags for if you seem to be so successful with a bow <laughs> well they scream back at you in, in september so they tell you where, where they're at so yeah. that really helps so so break it down for me. Did you go back to the same spot? I went back to the same unit, man, but the, the story didn't start there because I went, uh, you know, I'd... Pull that mic in like a... I got you. Get on like an ice cream cone. You can, you can adjust that whole thing out there. Put some seasoning on this thing. Right there, there you go. Uh, <clears throat> the story started out as I was I was trying to... Um, I was I was wanting to get there on the first day and like get the whole early wave thing, but my buddy called me and said, "Hey, I want you to stop by in Missouri, and uh, for what is that holiday? Labor Day, the early September." Uh, no, yeah. Some, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, <clears throat> so I stopped up there and, and dove hunted. And I was actually, you know, all the hunting I ever do, I saw I talk about. I've never actually been on a dove hunt. What? Yeah, I know. Really? I know that's what everybody does, but not me. And I got up there at my buddy's place in Missouri. It's like Argentina. Oh, it was, man, it was, in, it was incredible. I hunted twice, limited out twice in like the first 30 minutes. Jeez. Good Lord. And the second day he had, we had like 20 people and we all ate lunch together. Everybody limited out. That's how good it was. What's the limit in Missouri? It's 15 a person. Oh Lord. Same here. Yeah. Is it 15 here? I thought it was 12. I'm I'm trying to figure out how I can get better endured to Captain Will McNutt next time he's going to somewhere. go to Missouri and shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just went out to you know on a public land hunt and shot a big old elk with my bow, and then I went to Missouri and I killed all these doves. Like, <laughs> Should we go on a dove hunt? Yeah. We're lucky to see fifteen. You're like Captain Midas, man. <laughs> yeah that that uh that that was amazing. That was a lot of fun. And then you know now I'm on the way to Colorado with sixty dove breasts in my cooler. <laughs> And man, I ate so many doves I couldn't keep my socks up. I mean, I I was because I had my jet boil. I got yeah. the jet boil game, so I'm. Oh man, I ate so good. It's making me hungry again thinking about it. But I ate fried dove breast for the like the first four days, and then I started I, ki- I started killing grouse because you killed you know the blue grouse <sighs> everywhere in September, and <clears throat> so I started shooting with my bow. Eating them as we go, and as I go, and um, well, then I started. I started thinking it's like thirty-seven dollars per grouse if I mess up my arrow. I'm like <laughs> thirty-seven dollars and four grouse here. I'd, it'd be cheaper for me to go buy a pellet gun, so I went and bought a pellet gun, and that was not good for the grouse population. <laughs> I didn't even make it to where I was camping on the side of the road, and I had my limited grouse on the way in. <laughs> so i was uh, about about a week about a week and a half into the in, into you know my elk hunt 
I I was tired of bird. I'd eat so many grouse and doves. I if, if I was done with bird. You know, if you go next year, I, I'd almost I don't I don't need an elk tag. The the grouse. I, I'll tag around with you just to blast the grouse and cook. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know why that's not more of a thing. Like how how's there not grouse hunters everywhere? There is. There is. We just don't talk about it because I you mean, don't have grouse in Florida. With bob whites and not that many of them. Well, I mean, up there, I just don't hear a lot of people talking about. It. I figure there'd be people with bird dogs walking around everywhere. Well, right? yeah, maybe it's they're they're so common. It's like squirrel hunters in the south. Hmm. I mean, uh, I'll bet they're patchy too. I will bet you can go forever and not see one, and then they're everywhere. Um, I think it's a little more popular like up north, like Michigan. Yeah, Tiny maybe grouse. You can't even hunt doves in Michigan. Yeah, so they kill grouse. I mean, sure. I, I every would. every time I've ever been to the mountains, the grouse are everywhere. They're mm. abnormally dumb, so that really helps. <laughs> I I seen a guy on uh, saddle some like one of the saddle hunting pages today, and posted a picture of he had his uh, bridge, and he said, "Does anybody else have a grouse to hunt with?" And there was a <laughs> grouse standing on his bridge in his saddle. <laughs> but you know what? They are extremely tough. Like it's not a, you know, like like a dove. You can, you can hit him with one pellet and he's going down. You can usually find that dove, but a grouse, you better shoot him right. Or I'm talking about your blood trailing him. Like he's he's a tough. He's like a turkey. A, t- a turkey's extremely tough. You better respect a turkey. You got to hit him right, or you're not going to get him. And I I don't know. Grouse are dumb and tough. It's like, <laughs> it's like the cyclops baby of the village. <laughs> Sounds kind of like were you head hands. shooting them, or were you shooting them right through the pumper? What were you trying to do? I was just I was just center massing them at first, but then I, I learned you had to get you know higher up, you know, just try to break them down because you know obviously you don't want to wound an animal. But uh, I was expecting you just hit them, was shooting with a pellet rifle, but it, that's not the case. You got to you you got to give them the respect they they need. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, so, I don't even know how many because I don't even know how many grouse I I, I eventually ate. So, what kind of pellet rifle are you using? You talk about the, the whole, the whole whoosh, 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 no, 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 whoosh, whoosh, not, not the ones you shoot your buddies with. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I had, I, I got a gamma, of the, uh, the, that, that, uh, one seventy seven caliber, uh, gamos. Yeah, this is the brake barrel. Yeah, brake barrel comes with a scope. I just need, yeah. I, I run straight to Walmart, got the cheapest one, headed back up the mountain, and let them have it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. I, I started, I started like thinking about the grouse population, like. Maybe I should slow down. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just shooting my limit every day, and I was, but I was getting so tired of eating them. I was like, I got to move on. What is the limit, up. man? I think in, when we were in Maine, I think now these are rough grouse. I think it was four a day. Yeah, it's five in Colorado. Yeah, I think the rough grouse is what you find more people hunting. Yeah, I've been trying to tell you guys we need to go. Up. It's getting a little late now, but early October, man. Just driving around the North Main Woods, punching out grouse. It's a great time. I'm always down to kill something, man. Yeah. Sounds bad. But. I, would, I, I would love to go with a dog and just like with a, with a good pointer that I could talk to. I feel like it would just be incredibly fun. Well, we were, so we didn't, I've only been grouse hunting once and that was the time in Maine. I can't wait to go back again. But my buddy Steve and I were talking about it, that if we had gone with a dog, 
because we were just kicking them up or finding them by the roadside. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we'd blast one by the roadside, the others into the woods, and we'd go out and either listen. We'd wait until they'd start moving around and you'd hear their feet in the leaves when it, at least till it rained, or you sit real still for a long time and all of a sudden you just catch like a little bit of movement, like and be sitting right on top of it. You just couldn't, you just couldn't see them. They'd blend into the leaves and they wouldn't move. But we we were talking about that that if we had had a dog, we'd have had our limit every morning by like nine o'clock, and then it would have been, what do you want to do the rest of the day, right? Just drive around look at bears. I mean, so. uh, But anyway, I always like hunting behind dogs. It was just one of those things that you were mentioning how the grouse are so plentiful, but part of the challenge was you had to go find them. Right. If you got a dog, the dog will rustle them up. You probably for every one you saw, how many do you think you walked past? That's what I'm saying. A dozen. A lot, a lot, because just like you said, it's incredible their camouflage and how if they don't move, you don't see them. But I mean, what gives them away is they're you know scurrying around through the leaves, and you know you can hear them, or they're crossing the road. Most of them die because they're in the road. Yeah, that's that's how most people get them. But um, <clears throat> how I mean, often people run them over? I haven't seen any roadkill grouse. <laughs> I, do, I will say that I haven't I haven't seen any roadkill. I mean, grouse. you think if they're dumb that they'd probably get hit pretty easy. Yeah, but they're never in the road. They're just all off, like on the curb. Uh. You know, just right. They want to be right on the edge of the sage, or right in, the, right in the edge of their dark timber. I wonder if they've got a strut zone similar to a turkey, and that's why they like the edge of the road like that. Now, have you seen? Have you seen the pictures of them strutting? I have not. A it's grouse? incredible. Actually, struts. I'm talking. They about, do. They display in the fall. I'm talking Dude. about dragon wing, like full strut. What? They probably drum. I'm talking about like they're puffed up. It looks like it looks like something somebody made out of a computer for Thanksgiving to put on the table. Remember the little fold out turkeys? Yeah. You know, this would be about a foot tall. That's what they look like. Hmm. So you saw that in the fall with the blue grouse. Negative. I was I, I just while Googling it, making sure, you know, just doing my research, I seen because like you Google it and the first thing that comes up is one strut. Well, I, I was gonna ask because when my buddy Steve and I were hunting them in Maine, um we were coming up a hill in, in a Jeep. And we saw something in the edge of the road. And you look through the binoculars, there's a grouse, right? So as I start putting a stock on this grouse, I would get close enough to give him a shotgun. And I got closer. I'm watching him, and all of a sudden I realized that it was two grouse, two or three, but the male was at full display. Mm-hmm. And I said, what in the world is he doing? It, by the way, I blasted him out of that strut, man. <laughs> it was a shack second when I ever shot, right? But I didn't know, but when I looked up, that that's a curious thing. I don't know if it's just rough grouse, but they display in the fall, though they're not mating. And they, there's two theories behind it, that I, at least that I read about. And one is that it's either that their um, propensity to display, they, see, they think might be triggered by the length of the day. So in the winter, it's dark and you have short days, and then the day starts getting longer. Right, and all of a sudden they start displaying, and then in the fall the days are long and starting to get short, but they hit that same length of day. That was one theory. Tur- turkeys actually do that. So I didn't know that either. But then the other one was that maybe they were thinking that hey, it's getting to be fall, and that the males are running around saying, "Well, we know it's going to be pretty lean, but remember me next spring." Right. That was the two theories that I read about. But I, I didn't know the turkeys would do that too. Mm-hmm. Dude, these things look nasty when they're <clears throat> when they're strutting. Yeah. Show me a picture. Look at this. Hold on, let me scroll back to the top. We saw a pretty dang good rope dragger out there when I uh, where I killed that that buck at. Yeah, like I come around the corner and he was just standing. Holy cow! Yeah, 
fired yeah. up. Come around the corner and it's he's crazy. just standing there feeding. The next, the, as hot as it is right now, the next cold front we have, well, as soon as that, that, and that, when that temperature changes on that crisp morning, you'll, you'll hear turkeys gobble in the fall. And I mean, they, they'll be yodeling too. I'm talking about like going, they'll do it like one or two days, but they'll gobble their tail off. I heard a turkey gobble in Georgia this weekend. I thought that was weird. It yes. wasn't a big sound off, but I was like, "That was a turkey gobble." It might have been a Jake. May have been, um, but I didn't. Do they also? Do they get out and strut too? That's weird. I, I, th- I think I would have heard that. I, I had no idea. I, I know they do because I've seen them do it on the limb. But usually, I, I've never pursued them in the fall. But I mean, I've def- I've heard them numerous numerous times off in the distance while i'm deer hunting really but you know yeah i'm not walking over there and trying to find them and pursuing them at that moment but uh <laughs> i'm i'm a, if they're gobbling they're strutting i mean i've heard of guys shooting turkeys in the fall here in florida uh with a 30 out six when they're deer hunting <laughs> or all the, they got, all yeah. the time yeah yeah but, i would oh yeah i mean if i had the opportunity to do so too on private land i'd smoke one and then i would sit there and claim i killed my first turkey for crying out loud they have a fall season i know here they do some states man when i was in uh when i was stationed at fort campbell there was a point where you could kill during the fall turkey season like 21 hens a day oh my god yeah Hens, not even hens. You if know you were, if I you like were, to eat turkey. If you were in a bow hunting area, you could shoot hens with a bow and kill 21 a day. And my buddy was like, I seen about 30 turkeys. I said, you didn't shoot one? He said, no, I didn't know they were in season. I was like, yeah, bud, you should have just been doing, doing, doing until you ran out of arrows. Well, there, well, there's, there's some places that just have a overabundance of wild turkey. It's just crazy. Like the power lines are just covered with them. Yeah. You know, the... Uh, Oh, this is a cool topic. My buddy's in Missouri. the The one, you know, my dove hunting friend. He, uh, the turkeys used to be like that. I mean, in the fall, you would see flocks of fifty or sixty. I mean, it looked like buffalo. I mean, they was out there, and then all of a sudden, the turkeys just started disappearing. It wasn't that they were killing a bunch of them; just the population of turkeys fell off, and nobody could figure out, you know, is it a disease? And it would, like, come to find out, it was coons. Huh. You think it really is nest raiding? It was well that was that was the that was the idea they come up with is the the, the research the bothers said is nest raiding from raccoons. And so everybody I know in that's that part of Missouri, they bought into the program. Everybody had, you know, got foot snares, live traps. I mean, people with twenty acres would have twenty traps on their property. And every every piece of property that I know of, people up there, that my friends and their family, and everybody's on this program trying to catch raccoons, and they, I'm talking about dozens and dozens and dozens a year, high high numbers, and now the turkey population is actually like skyrocketing and coming back because they started getting rid of the rodents that was eating the eggs. I saw a raccoon today hit on the side of the road. It was so big when I was coming up to it, I thought it was a coyote. And you that, sure it wasn't all puffed up? No, it was definitely. I'm talking lengthwise. Big, I thought it was a coyote. Big boar coon. And <laughs> I thought to myself, the first thing that came to my mind was punnable species that we talked about last week. And I was like, definitely not that sucker. All right. That's, a, that's one of them Jerry Clower coons. Got the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got a hammer handle between his eyes. Yeah. When I was when I was at Fort Riley, I seen a daggum coon. If you could, if it was dead or whatever, you could have held it by its tail. That sucker wouldn't fit in a five-gallon bucket. No, oh, I guarantee. Yeah, he was that big I around. 
Well, if you got coons on your property and you need somebody to come get them on, you can give us a shout at our Instagram, Facebook, or Under Pressure Outdoors at Gmail. We'll get somebody over there. We got a guy that loves running coons all yeah. over the southeast. He'll come run the coons right off there for you. You want to knock some coons down? We just got to put a can of ca- uh, tuna fish down in my driveway and set up the other end with lawn chairs and a couple of pellet guns, a couple of beers, and. <laughs> you, I'm coming along. Borrow Cat <laughs> McNutt's pellet gun, huh? Twenty twos. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get more people to, uh, you know, have coons as pets. Instead, of like, oh, you're a cat person. Have you tried a coon? Yeah. <laughs> have you seen that old Facebook meme with the lost cat? It's a possum. Oh, yeah. Not not housebroken. <laughs> we got a sign. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen somebody that has a, a possum as a, as a pet? No. Oh, hell no, man. They're just so... I mean... They're I, not... They're actually not... And I know they look gross, but they're actually not a nasty animal. Hmm. No, like I heard that they're actually pretty fastidious. They're, they don't stink. They're actually really calm. They'll like hang out with you. You'll be watching TV and they'll just come sit there on the couch with you. Hmm. Wow. So you know somebody that has a, a pet I, I do. Currently. <laughs> nice. And he they always... Like, right. they have... they. Had, I mean, they've, they've had a lot of possums throughout the years. And I have... I have run around the hills of North Carolina... And uh, just catching possums and taking them out of the road. Mm-hmm. That, that that was something that my my wife's aunt and her uh, boyfriend enjoyed doing. So we obviously a lot of some alcohol involved in that. <laughs> but just catching possums and getting them out of the road. I used to think that, that possums going to sleep thing was a myth. And then Chris, I was at Chris Connors' house, the beer guy, Little Wakiver Brewery, opening soon. Um. And his dog was harassing a possum. I'll be damned if that possum just just didn't fall right over. That was it. And it didn't seem to be like a voluntary response. It seems like it's like they don't really have a choice. They when they no, they, when actually, they, get they over, actually faint. Yeah, they conk right out. They lose yeah. it. Yeah, it's like them fainting goats. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. They just fall over all the time. <laughs> fainting possum. I don't know. I used to whack them at will, and then I found out that like they they. They eat like their body weight and ticks every day. No. And also I'm like, whoa. Listen, listen. So that's that's been heavily disproven that the turkeys eat ten times more ticks than possums do. I might stop hunting turkeys then. Yeah, you gotta you gotta <laughs> no. kill but possums also raid nests. Yeah, kill possums. If you if you want to eat more ticks, if you want more ticks ate, kill possums so they don't eat turkey eggs. It's possums eat ticks, but not to the extent that turkeys and other nests uh, ground nesting animals that they that they raid, you know, quail nests stuff like that. Quail and turkeys eat way more ticks than dang possums do. Well, you ever ate one? That's bad news for possums. No, Briar no. has. <laughs> <laughs> possum, both possum and armadillo. I can understand I've armadillo. Looked, I mean, armadillo, man. I've looked at them. I know it can be done, and I I understand down in South America they eat them. All the time, man. Like Belize, that's like what they hunt. But man, that leprosy thing. Mm, yeah, that's hard to get over. Leprosy's curable. All right. And uh, the leprosy that they carry, from my understanding, that armadillos carry is not transmittable to humans. Uh, I know. I mean, that's, actually, I understand that one of the reasons, like one of the single greatest reasons that human beings get leprosy is eating undercooked armadillo. What? So if we do armadillo, it's. Well done. Well done. Maybe I'll get some armadillo boudin going. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with it. Yeah. Possum on a health show, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know, man. I, I've done coon. I just, 
it's too much damn work. And I look at possum, I'm like, I ain't touching that thing. We could eat, we could eat possum out of an armadillo bowl. There you go. <laughs> I like that idea. That's literally possum on the half shell. Yeah. Mm. Like if you guys eat on, it, I'll figure on out the a way dealer to make shell. it. I just ain't promising it's gonna turn out good the first time. <laughs> nope. Well, we we've strayed far away from talking about eating armadillos now. Before we came here to talk about elk hunting in Colorado. So, what brought you back this year? I wanted to see if it was a fluke. <laughs> 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 no, I'm I'm addicted. I'm I'm so addicted. I'm eat up with it, and I'll I'll go every year until I can't go anymore. Did you manage to not almost die this time? Uh, yeah, but this one, this, uh, I almost got hypothermia this time. So last time actually, it was stroke, I might, this time hypothermia. Yeah. I, I might have actually gotten hypothermia. Like it, it got, it got pretty bad. Um, the, <clears throat> after I killed my bull, um, it was, it's been a beautiful day and then, you know, we'll get, we'll get into that, but it'd been a beautiful day. But what I did is I I started I I was by myself I didn't have a I, my buddy wasn't with me this time I was hundred percent solo just me and Jesus out there and <clears throat> so I I relayed my gear I just started like leapfrogging back to the truck and well I relayed all my gear which or all my rain gear went it hasn't rained a drop the entire time I was out there well halfway through cleaning my bull I I cleaned. I cleaned a half, a half of them. I rolled them over and started on the the other half, and I felt a raindrop. And I was like, "Well, I mean, this usually stuff in the mountains blows over in like six minutes. It's like Florida, you know, like our summertime storms. They'll just like whoosh, blow over, and that's cool." Well, I had one tarp to lay the meat on. I just got under the tarp. As soon as that rain started, I just got under it, and I just sat there and I saw this blow over. And I sat there, and thirty minutes went by, and it's still raining. It's getting harder. And getting harder and getting harder and getting harder and i said i'm running out of time i got to start doing something so i just got out and started getting wet and i figured it was just gonna stop but it just never stopped and then i got <clears throat> i got my bull completely clean and then you know my but my frog togs my warming layers i had nothing but a t-shirt on and it was all about a mile and a half away half you know like several terrain contours away and you know in in this draw that i actually wasn't even gonna walk by now to try to get to the truck and on the way back it just it, it rained and rained and rained and fog set in to the point where like with my headlight i could see 10 to 12 feet on the trail of where i was like to the to the point of, of like blindness and so it's dark and foggy oh yeah yeah and um i was trying to think i got i killed i killed my bull like 30 minutes before dark and when i made it back to the truck it was 347 that the next morning and the last mile was like a 45 like a 45 degree incline ish 45 degree incline coming up out of a gulch and it was just as hard as i could possibly ever move with the weight on my back up that mountain trying to get to the truck and I was getting colder every step. And that's how I knew I was starting to get in trouble because like usually you just stay moving. You get cold, stay moving. You're fine. But like I, I kept moving and I kept getting colder. I was like, this is not good. So when I got back to the truck, I, uh, I dropped my gear, just dropped everything beside, beside the truck and I stripped down, you know, naked. 
opened up my truck, crunk it up, and took my jet bull and sat it in my lap and turned on the jet bull and, and I was cooking rice, sitting there with the truck on and just drying myself with paper towels. And I was, I was, I was like to a level of cold that I didn't even know how cold I was. And we, we, we involuntarily shaking your jack amory. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a Did you have trouble getting your boots off. Uh, no, I, I about walked them off by the time I got there, but, uh, I can't even remember taking my boots off. To be honest with you. Jeez. I, I got wet like that. And I've already told the story on the podcast, but, and it, and it happened pretty quick. And only reason I knew I was in trouble is because I had been through like wilderness survival and things like that. And there was enough as like, like you, and had I not been through, I knew I was cold, but I wouldn't realize that I'm now beyond a point where if I don't do something special, it's not going to get better. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's a little loopy because you're not, even though I knew it at that point, like I wasn't frightened, but I knew, but I, and I, I, I couldn't make my fingers work to get my boots off. That's what, that's one of the things I remember. Unfortunately, my son was there, but yeah, it sounds when you were talking about stripping down, cause you can't, it's weird. You're cold. Mm-hmm. And I think it is the right thing. I know it's the right thing to do to get the, the wet off you, but it seems counterintuitive and it's weird. You're taking the, you're taking the layers off and you're actually getting warm. You feel like you're getting warmer, even though you're not getting warmer. Because you're not losing the body heat as fast. Right. Weird. Yeah. So if you've listened to media, paradoxical undressing. Is that right? I think that's that right? really cold though. Yeah, when you get that's like, like you're about to die. Yeah. Super deep into hypothermia. Yeah. Right, does that is that what it's talking about when you start getting hot? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that you're you're dying at that stage. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's you're, that's when your body starts releasing blood to the areas where it's taking it away from you. Look. Yeah. So the heat that's inside your body is going to your extremities and you actually mm-hmm. feel hot. So you're actually like you're in the stage of death. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you go into hypothermia, your body shunts blood from your extremities and pulls it into your core yeah. to try and keep your organs alive. Uh, that's the, it's part of the whole. It's bad. It, it's it's bad deal. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I was I was it it was getting pretty bad. Like I was starting to get in like like I was like I felt like I was starting to like hallucinate. Mm-hmm. by the time i made it back to the truck and i fell asleep five times before my my jet bull cooked that that thing of rice like i would fall <laughs> i would my head my head would hit the uh steering wheel and I'd, i would wake up and I'm like you got fire between your legs you probably <laughs> <laughs> you should probably wake up that's a tough thing to do because that jet bull cook quick yeah i mean it made ramen yeah. noodles friday for briar he said that, that water's already boiling i said yeah it's incredible that i pulled a bottle of water out quick. of the out of the cooler dumped it in there and had it boiling within a minute that thing is a game changer. I can't do without it now. Just can't go back without it. I've had one for quite a few years, and uh, when I went down to do that uh, uh, hurricane relief after uh, was it Ian came through, and uh, the first day we were there, we didn't have any kind of amenity set up in our area where we're all staged. And uh, this guy was like, he says, "Man, I just I'd, I'd kill for a cup of coffee right now." And I said. I got a cup of coffee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where'd you get coffee from? I said, I, I, I made it. <laughs> I'm not coming down here not having coffee. <laughs> you mean people still make coffee? Yeah, right. <laughs> when they first came out, there was basically one version of the Jet Boil. Now they got a whole lineup, man. Oh, oh yeah. I don't own one, but I probably, I'm still packing around the pocket rocket, you know, those things that fold up into a little. Yeah. MSR pocket rocket. Yeah, the MSR pocket rocket. I just got one for my I mean, birthday. They're cool the to have, man. Rocket. They're pretty pint size, and then you know the can and all. But 
You can actually put yeah. it on a jet boil can. It was the same fuel system. Yeah, fuel yeah. system. Yeah, but the jet boils just seem a lot more versatile and a lot more stable. Well, so the They're nice thing about more, the, the pocket rocket versus the jet boil is I can take that pocket rocket and make an entire twelve cup percolator of coffee, which I can't make but like two cups of coffee out of my jet boil. Mm-hmm. So if I want to make coffee for more than just myself, you, you got to have like a, a pocket rocket. The jet boil heating system is is designed to heat the can that it comes in. But the really nice thing about the jet boil is everything to heat, cook, everything all packs inside the can that the jet boil is is made of. That's what I was talking about. Now don't, they've got more jet boils than than just the can though. Oh yeah, now well, but yeah, but now they're they're like tall and skinny, short and fat. Uh, there's there's ten different versions of the same can, and now you've got. Excuse me. You've got jet boil, like a pot, where the, everything fits inside of an actual pot. You could make a whole meal in, and jet boil makes uh, like a, a, a camp stove and all kinds of stuff, where it all snaps together and, and packs inside of itself. Yeah, they're starting to target the crowd that's you know like you're cooking food in the camp, not just the, right. the backpack hunter. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, too, is even that thing where you're cooking food in the camp compared to other camp stove weighs next to nothing. Yeah, the, the the weight the 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 sheer weight is what's incredible about it. Yeah, it's like it's, I mean, it's like compared to having ten mountain house meals with a jet bowl compared to having ten MREs is I don't I don't even know. It's got to be like thirty percent of the weight of what MREs would be. So it's it's remarkable. It's it's changed the game of eating eating you know like backpack hunting having good food I'll say it's, it's pretty crazy too to think that you can make you can literally take that jet boil make coffee in the morning with it and then as soon as you're done with your coffee you can make your breakfast with it too shoot man i was cooking rice i was frying like literally like deep frying grouse i was you just know, putting oil in it yeah i just i bought i didn't I, I, now this was at the road i didn't i didn't tote a gallon of canola oil <laughs> up the back, you know, you know on the backcountry hunt that was that was just luxury items at the truck but i did everything with it if you can cook it on the stove i did it in my jet bowl i just had to break it break Man, it down I, i've scrambled eggs in it but i never thought about deep frying nothing in it that's i was yeah, gonna say i didn't even think you could throw oil in it and <laughs> yeah. then... it's, it's got that 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 wrap around it you know that heat shield yeah. wrap and yeah, it, yeah i mean it, it holds heat very well yeah like you got to turn it down like it'll it'll cook Oh, you got to keep it down when you're trying to boil water so it doesn't boil over. Mm-hmm. But all right, so we we let's let's deep dive into this uh, the second elk story. For, my first question is, uh, which was bigger, the first elk or the second elk? Hmm. Uh, I when when I killed the bull, I thought that my first bull was bigger until I got home and I compared the skulls of them. So the actually the body size of my second the second elk was bigger and the and and the horns because he was a he was a true five by five. He didn't have you know he didn't have you know really good back scratchers. But this this bull I just I killed this year was a perfect frame, just as beautiful as you could ask for. But it wasn't it wasn't the giant booner that that you see on TV. It was it was he was a smaller tight rack bull, but I mean, he wasn't the one that came in after you shot that bull last year. No, no, he was not the herd bull last year. I actually, I seen that bull again this year. And, uh, I learned so much about elk hunting this year compared to everything I thought I knew. I mean, I, I, I failed a lot this time, man. And, uh, I'm definitely a better elk hunter because of it. 
And I learned that just because this is a safe haven where elk live doesn't mean they're going to be there this year or next year or 10 years from now. But then 13 years from now, this might be the place where they're back. And you just, you have to, you have to have these locations that you check out and certain drainages and stuff. And, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very cool animal learning how to hunt. Um, because this year I went to the cliffs where I went last, last time, you know, I had like rappel down in there and I was like, this is, this is going to be a place like I could always go back to. Well, I went there and there was no cows this year, but you could glass, you could glass, you could glass there for five days straight and there'd be every day there would be a one new bull or two new bulls. And then one bull would stay for two days and then you'd see him another evening and then he would go away and they were just coming through checking there, but there was no cows. And last year it was just, there was just huge rutting activity through there. So I actually found a different spot and actually where I, where I killed my bull this year was, was miles away from where I killed mine last year. And it was thankfully the on X, you know, is keeping us Florida boys in the game because that's how I found, you know, I, I found where I went this year. Just, it was all <clears throat> trying to explain this. The, um, where the public land, uh, the public public land was, it wasn't the uh, what, what do they call it the 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 crossings where the corners touch corner crossings. It wasn't corner crossing, but it, they were staggered and the blocks went off on a finger, and that's where I killed mine on the edges of of private land. There was uh, they call them gulches on the high plateaus up there where it just drops down, just you know hundreds and hundreds of feet of cliffs down to a, a creek. And, you know, and something that there's, there's plateaus up top where there's, you know, small drainages and not a lot of timber, but that's where the elk are in these areas. And they were just all jammed up in there. And, uh, for an over the counter hunt, I bet I've seen in that area, I bet I've seen 10 or 11 bugling bulls. And to my knowledge of over-the-counter hunting, that is unheard of. And I, I'm not sure if this is a thing that will be every year. I'm going to have to go back and check. But uh, this might be a spot that just not a lot of people know about. This might be just a safe haven for them. But, there's the, but the rutting activity in this area that I went was just remarkable. Every spine I would go on, there would be, you know, eight to ten cows. And the, the first morning I got over there, I had three bulls within – I had them within 60 just bugling their tail off and actually I had a cow win me I just didn't have a shot and they they busted off and went to a different you know a different spine but I, the, the first day I went up in that drainage I almost I'd almost got a shot on a nice six by six but they I learned a lot about thermals and just so much stuff that I didn't have that I, I didn't that didn't have to factor in last year last year it was just the train this year it was it was actually hunting and knowing you know your winds and calling and you know like this cow call don't work because that sounds crazy this cow call does work it makes them calmer and uh it was it was, it was an amazing experience on that I'm trying to think uh so what does that what does that trip cost you you're talking over the counter are you driving out there yeah i drive it i i, I probably will drive every year because you got to tote so much gear i mean i you got two backpacks and a weapon and then, you know, if, if you're blessed enough to actually kill an animal, then you got to fly them back home. So I'm just going to drive every year. So what's that costing you round trip estimation? Estimate. Well, it's, it's, 
I think it was uh, $700.21 for the tag, just for another calendar tag. And that's good luck get in there. One-time fee, you don't get it back no matter what you kill. And so let's see. I was bad about going back to Walmart and buying more beef jerky and stuff. But (laughs) I think for about $1,500, you can do it out the door clean. That's really not bad. It's not it's not bad, but you gotta be careful on, you know, like you know, don't buy Sitka or, you know, like <laughs> make sure you got a jet boil. You know, like, cause if you start piecing things together, once you have your gear together, it's just travel costs then. You know, don't shoot too many grouse with your arrows. Buy <laughs> you know, buy a gamma pellet rifle. Bring a pellet gun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you start throwing, you know, just under forty dollars a shot at a grouse, you know, stuff stuff really starts adding up. It's almost sounding more and more like I'm going to have to try and join him next year. You could have put a sight on your bow first for trying. Yeah, I, I would love to have somebody tote my elk out for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be like William. I'll, I'll I'll help tote some out, but my legs aren't quite, unless I work out all <laughs> the rest of this year until then. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been nice to have somebody with me this time. That was for sure. It's, uh, it's something I'd love to do. I'd love to get out and hunt some elk. And do that. And it's on the bucket list, and I'll get it done one day. But man, I, I'm, I'm too fat for that right now. I got to get back in shape. You said you were going to be down to 200 by the Swanee trip. That ain't happening. <laughs> Not unless I get like uh, some god awful uh, sickness. Uh, I could. We could probably find something to buy you out in Astor to <laughs> get you down to weight. I could. I don't think you have to go. Well, I, I, I go do it now, man. Go do it now before you get the. I mean. Weight, weight is one of the things, but um, when you start, when 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 the joints really do start going, and it's not something that you can just suck it up and muscle through, or even rest through, because it's just it's just every single step, man. You'll it'll it'll sideline you. Healthy joints and consistency. If you can just stay moving, you can stay in the game. Right. Have to get me a good knee brace. Just go do it, man. I'd do it now. Um, cause I'm listening to you and I'm like, you know, if I, and I'm like, man, but I know that that, and it's not the up, it's the, at least for me going up is, there's an annoyance man, coming down. If you're talking about the knee game, good God, man, the, going the, down the, the knee game is going down. Yeah. It's, it's hard on your knees going down. So you start trying to play games like, and I've only got one, my left knee's the bad knee. So you start playing these games or you start trying to like sidestep down and, and then other things start wearing out. Next thing you know, your hips start hurting like hell. Cause you just. You're not, you're not using your body the way it's supposed to be used because you're trying to, you know, adjust for that one issue. But it changes of course, your, it, it, yeah, it yeah, changes your. I'm gait sure that if I did a forty pounds lighter, it probably wouldn't have been so so <laughs> such a bitch. <laughs> but yeah, because uh, I I'm thinking I'm like I could go, and then I'm like, he would shoot you after the first day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I put in a lot of hard miles before this trip. I mean that the uh, shoot the day I killed that bull. I mean I, I was I was blowing out elk because I was I, I learned so much about thermals and things of what not to do. And it's like because on, on the top of your ridge lines the or if you're any on any type of a knoll, it comes down to like like what we would call a peninsula. You know, dropping down down into a drainage. Like the elk are there because 
the wind might be going in one direction, but it's also swirling left and right 90 degrees. So even if they have a consistent wind, anything to the side the side of them, they can still smell it. And it's, it, it makes it extremely hard to put a stalk on that animal. And but when the, but if you're if you can convince them to come down on the bottom, the 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 wind is always consistent down there. In my experience, always consistent. The lower you get, there you have more consistent winds. And I I screwed up the first three days being up top with them in that scenario because I would have it just right and I would get just right close to them and then I would it would swirl and either a bull would smell me or a cow would smell me and I would just I'd mess up the hunt. But I wound up killing my bull, and the other bulls I've seen the other guys kill, including guides, was down low, extremely low. But every form you read or anybody you talk to says if you don't get high, you don't do nothing in, in, you know, in, in the mountain game. Uh, but every bull I've seen was in those scenarios was down low. And I, it, it eventually worked for me once I learned to you know climb down off the top. The... Uh, trying to think the, well, isn't, isn't part of the argument about getting high is you get high so that you can see and they might be down lower they might be high you but know, you know what you know what I, he, what I what i think it is is because when when me and you are talking and we're you know our egos start going back and forth and like oh man you should have climbed higher you, you should have went higher you should have went higher you should have went to where it was harder to get to yeah, because I mean, I've I've made that mistake so often. Like, well, that's everybody says go up there, and you go up there, and it's like, well, man, down there where I just came from, there's some animals. You know, it just it that are you're six hundred feet above the tree line at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's I, I really think that that's that that that's just almost false information. Hmm. Now, being in a high elevation where those terrain features where those animals are living is different. But just like going to the peak, that's that's not the answer. the uh, the day I the day I killed my bull, it was trying to think. I I had I had four bulls bugling at me, and I came up I came up the spine. And this 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 was this was a really big herd bull that I was coming up on. And he was just he was like real mad, and I had him. I'd I'd bugle to him. I cow call and I could hear him like running down the mountain, sound like a bulldozer coming. He was just crashing, crashing, crashing. But I was talking about the thermals, and and in the morning when the sun's rising, our thermals start to rise with the heat. And but I was embedded with his cows. I was right. I was with with his cows. That's why he come running to me. And eventually, when his cows winded me, and they all blew off the mountain, and I was starting to get frustrated because I was around elk. And what I was told is all you got to do is find them. And then you can kill them. The hard part over the counter is finding them. Well, I'd found them and I just, I was, I was failing. I was failing. I'd screw up this. I'd screw up that. I would get seen. I'd get smelled. And then, so I just, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go find one that, uh, that, that wants to play ball. And I just started literally running and I would, I'd bust one ridge line and I would go down and I'd come up and I'd go to another ridge line and I, and it was, it was nine, nine fifty six. I bugled and a bull bugled back immediately. I climbed up this cliff face, not really a cliff face. It was just a sidestep up a very steep mountain. I got up to his elevation. By that time I got up there to him, it was like mid 10, you know, 10 a.m. something. He was already getting to his bed and areas. All elk, they bed during the middle of the day when it gets hot. September, it gets real hot throughout the middle of the day. 
and uh, <clears throat> 90s I, hot or 75 hot? 75 hot. <laughs> low, low low 80s is screaming out there right then. I mean, it does get up in the 90s, but that's that's pushing it. I mean, it's because of your elevation you're talking about. But this bull was he was very vocal, and every every time I would bugle him, he bugled back. But he started getting real low. And they call that you know bet you know betting bugles. He's he's literally laying down. He's just communicating. Everybody's just is Marco Polo and throughout the mountains, you know just you know they're just just a low, almost like a moaning a moaning bugle. It's not that crazy raspy with a chuckle at the end. And I sat there and then and I got I got close enough to him. If I'd had a muzzleloader rifle or anything, I'd have killed him then, like in the the ten thirty range. And I sat down. I sat down there in a shady spot under a tree, and I had him at a had him at a, it was 102 and he would come to like 93 yards. I could, I would range him because he was, there was this, this little dip and come back up and he was this little tiny patch of dark timber. And me and him talked for probably two hours and I learned that he wasn't leaving that because he had this area where the wind was just, it was just whirling, whirling, going around, around. I couldn't get any closer to him where I would, you know, I would blew him out too. So I literally sat there looking at him until it was, I looked at my my I looked at my phone. It was three. It was, it was no. It was four four thirty four when he stepped off. And I thought he was going to come to me, but he went. It's like turkey hunting in Florida. He went directly away from me, bugling. And I was like, great. I literally sat there all day, alert, just sitting there watching him, trying to find out if he would come to me. I would cow call. He'd bugle back to me. He was very very vocal, and it was the most vocal elk I've ever witnessed in the in the elk hunting time that I've had. And, but he went away from me and he just went right down the mountain just, and then when he did, there was two more bulls crunk up down there with him. And I just dumped off right there behind him and I just started getting closer and closer and they were lowering their elevation. I got down there and I started calling to them and everybody's just screaming back and forth. I'm like, this is you know public land you know, over the counter. It's not supposed to be happening this way again. Right. Like two years in a row, I have vocal elk over the counter. And, but I, I was right there with them. I had no one around me. It was just me and them. And I got real, I got about 120 yards from the bull I killed and he just left. He went right back to where he originally was. And, and I just come to realization either I don't have the skills or they're not ready for me to be in a, like the rutting moment of me bugling and they're coming in fighting. So I, I said, "What? What? I'm I'm flirting with the definition definition of insanity here. I'm doing the same thing over and over. It's not working. This is just literally not working. I've been doing this for two weeks, you know. And it's just not, nothing, nothing scratching out. And I said, you know what? What do they want? They want cows. I'm just gonna I'm gonna find cows and I'm gonna live with the cows. I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna get as close to them cows as I can. I'm gonna be downwind. I'm just gonna camp out. I'm not gonna say a word, but I'm gonna stay. Try to stay within bow range. And I I moved." I moved down that drainage and I found a cow and a calf feeding. And I, I rose up about 50 foot of elevation above them. And I got within like a hundred yards of them just where I could monitor them. And that bull that went up there without me bugling, I heard him coming. He started coming down the mountain and he got real close to me. And then he got silent and I started cow calling, trying to, you know, kind of like hen turkeys. Yeah. You, know, you piss off the hen, you know, a lot of times they'll run you over you know, just, you know, yelping back and forth, cackling, whatever. And that was my angle, you know, just cow calls, no bugling. And, um, and then I, I seen, I seen the, that, 
the bull that I'd been, you know, I sat with all day. He come down, he, he come down the drainage and he, he was at, he was at 72 and I'm completely confident shooting 72. And, but I was looking at my vertical axis of the, like the flight of my air was not clear. So I just, I wouldn't take the shot because I, there was limbs vertically. I had a line of sight for a rifle had been fine. And so I, I, I put my bow back down and I just waited and I said, you know, I'm, I'm not just going to launch an arrow, you know, and not even, not even understand. Yeah. That's, that's one of the crazy things to think about when, you know, we talk about, uh, hunting whitetail with a bow and people say, oh man, 50 yards is a long shot. Well, you got guys out there shooting elk with a bow at 90 yards, 80 yards, 90 yards. Three times the target. Oh, yeah. Well, but three times the size, yeah, the vital zone. And you're also talking uh, 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 when an elk is at 70 yards. Like, that's close for both. Yeah, in, those, in, in that scenario, it was. Yeah. You know, I, I, I truly felt like I could make that shot, but, you know, I just, there, there was too much brush in the way. So I, so I, I, I let him go. And by the way, Look at a white tail at seventy yards. Like you're yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like that's a, that looks like a squirrel. Right. That's, that's, Those horns. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's it feels like insanity trying to make that shot. And I and I, I shoot that target like that all day. Right. You know, I, I got a single pin now. You know, where I can just dial it in. You just you give me a range. If he's within a hundred yards, I can put it on him. And um. But in, in that scenario, he actually went away with, uh, away from me, and there was a spike bull. And he was, oh, that spike bull was acting like just like a like a spike whitetail. He just acting like a kid. He was just tearing down trees and stuff. You know, like well, a whitetail like he like you know he could kick a can around, but an elk can literally uproot a tree. And you know, they were literally just he would just walk around. He would grab the shrub and he would just like whirl it in his, in his horn, just snatch it out of the ground, and just like hanging on his head and he would throw it down. and He'd walk around and. He's acting like a teenager. Exactly. Heart yeah. of a lion. Yeah. yeah, it was it was quite entertaining watching him. And I really thought the bull that I killed was gone. And he actually went over this little bit of a hill. And then that calf, you know, I was with that cow and the calf. And that calf, she just come running at a 45-degree angle right up there to me and got about 40 yards and started feeding. And then the cow came right behind her. And when when <clears throat> And when she did that, that bull seen it because he could see her and I couldn't see him and he come right into 50 and just put his put his head down on the ground and you know grazing front foot forward you know sway back like a deer eating corn and I was like totally chill thank you god and <laughs> it, I just broadside to you broadside to me <laughs> I had him at 50 exactly 50 range finder and I'm at like a 50 50 60 foot elevation above him like I'm sitting in a tree stand I'm just side healing right beside him I draw my bow back. Every story of mine's got some bull crap coming. Yeah. <laughs> I draw my bow back, look my peep, can't see through it. Oh, it's turned in the string? Yeah. Shit. I don't know why. I've never had this happen during a hunt, ever. My peep side is completely 90 degrees, can't see out of it, nothing. All right, and I'm like, this is my shot. Everything's perfect. Everything I've been trying to do is coming down to this moment and my peeps out sideways. I'm like, 
in my head, I'm like, Indians been doing it for thousands of years from another peep site. So <laughs> I just, I moved it over to the side of my eye and I lined it up, you know, and I tried to compensate for it. And I actually shot four inches, like four or five inches to the right. And actually, you know, I hit him a liver shot instead of a lung shot, but I, mean, I, I drilled him. You let it go though. You didn't, you didn't bring it down and try to fix the site. Oh no, I sent it. <laughs> big target 50 yards good yeah move. i mean I, I i i know i know where my bow needs to be sitting you know when i draw it back and I, everything was right i just couldn't see through the peep side so i just pulled it out to the side and i let him have it <clears throat> so you you had it back you could you were looking down the side of the peep site but yeah. still then using oh. using the top and bottom of the peep site to rain so you only you had your top and Mm. you had your vertical you just weren't sure i, did, you I didn't have the yeah. left and right yeah i got it i see yeah I it's still pretty yeah and I, I looked on my cheek side of the string i didn't look over i looked on my cheek side I, just, I, I where it was and i just pulled it out to the right just a little bit and uh i just i mean it, it was it was a fatal shot he went about 120 scoreboard yeah piled up you can't ask for anything better than that. I mean, a, a dead elk's a dead elk. Yeah. yeah. Dead deer's a dead deer. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Two things we, we talked about here in the last week. We talk, you talked about thermals. And what me and Jordan saw a lot sitting out there last weekend was the wind shifting on us constantly. But, Jordan, you and I talked about Hunter using uh, what's the, what's the little the milkweed. Milkweed. Mm. Oh. Using milkweed. Because milkweed will float out, you know, you, you put a piece of milkweed out on the air, and it floats with the air, and then it catches a thermal, and it tells you whether your scent is, I mean, your scent could be going, the deer could be directly downwind, but if ten yards in front of you is a thermal, is throwing that scent way up in the air, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter as long as yeah. it's rising. Yeah, as long as the scent is not going all the way to the deer, at, and then, but you do, you hit the powder, you hit the powder, and the powder yeah. goes out, and you lose it. With a milkweed, you can watch it milkweed for a long ways. Just oh, so hit thermals what, and drift and come back. And when it's when, we, when it's getting cold, you know it's cooling off in the evenings. Your 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 scent is just plummeting. Yeah, down. Right. you know it's going right to it. Yeah, that's like what we had talked about when me and William were talking about using milkweed. I told him that I was I was filming for Hunter, and he had dropped a little thing of milkweed, and it had went off and kind of went down, and then about. Two or three minutes later, it come back past us, <laughs> rising up, and he's like, "Look, wind's changing." He's like, "That's the same piece of milkweed I just dropped right there, but it's coming back at us and rising." I've never used it. I just, I just had the old powder donuts. You know, that's that's what I got bottle. and my dang vinyl harness. But I'm gonna buy me a dang uh, some milkweed seeds. They're native in like ninety percent of the U.S., so it's not mm-hmm. like you're throwing some non-native seed out there. Buy some seeds use them one year and then plant some in my backyard they just go. keep them coming back every year pulling milkweed seed out and i've seen guys like taking them little uh match boxes wrapping them in duct tape just keeping them in a matchbox. Mm-hmm. hunter's got like a little piece of dowel essentially that's hollowed out in the center it's got like the top cut off of it and it's just got a little bit fatter top to it than the center is yeah just crams that top down on there and Packs it full of milkweed and crans that top down, and he's got a little wooden piece of dowel. They just grab one little piece of milkweed and throw it out there and watch it float off wherever it needs to go. And where where is he getting the milkweed? Is he getting that when he's traveling? Uh, he got it. I've never uh, seen. He, you he, can buy you can has, buy milkweed on Amazon. He has I'm not like buying milkweed. Listen, he has like. <laughs> you probably call some stranger in Ohio and be like, "Hey, man, 
Do me. F- I know you don't know who yeah. I am. My name is Will Krebs. I live down in Eustis. Wander out in the woods. Pick me up some milkweed. I'll send you ten bucks. There's milkweed here. You're buying it. Really? He I've never seen got, milkweed here. He has like a, a like a gallon bag full of it that he got in Virginia. Yeah. That he picked in Virginia. But it's native to Florida or too. West Virginia, wherever he went to college and where he goes on. Yeah. A thing that I changed this year, which was a uh, which was the topic last time I talked about, was what was my arrows. You know, last year. Last year I shot I shot that bull at forty six and I was shooting um, the Eastern uh, Bloodlines, Eastern Bloodlines five millimeter carbon arrows, and it buried up to the Fletchings. Those you know. are thin arrows. The well, five millimeters are they're well, five five millimeters are standard. Are they? The four millimeters is a step down. When you look at it in the box, you're like, damn, that's tiny. Yeah, you know that's the four millimeter. And uh, this year I wanted something to go heavier, but like my buddy Brody from from Pennsylvania, he gets he nerds out to the max on this stuff, and he's you know he's you know just top of the line everything he researches and, and he shoots year round. And I but I I don't put that much time into it, you know I <clears throat> I, I just put my efforts you know elsewhere. So what That's I why did, you have buddies that do that for you, right? But it but also like man the the amount of money that it takes to do to to do that amount, that amount of experiments with your bow is just, it's insane. There's other options. And what I, what I did is I just, I, I did a quick research and I found out, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I got the Easton full metal jackets, full metal jackets, four millimeter, four millimeter. I did that because of me. Uh, I just wanted a skinnier arrow. The, the whole idea of it is, you know, it's a narrow arrow. So, so when it's passing through the animal, that you know, it's not actually touching as much of the animal from where the uh, less surface area to drag on it. It's less surface area to drag, and also when you have crosswind, it has you know less area, less impact on, on yeah, the arrow. Le- less impact on the arrow. But that full metal jacket's actually it's actually a uh, aluminum outside with a carbon core. And it took my I put it on like a crack scale. My you know the little your gram scale Crack scale yeah that's what i call it <laughs> yeah. you know like you're at you, yeah you go to McDonald's. everybody understood exactly yeah, what he was yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. Well, yeah you roll up you roll up to mcdonald's you get a quarter pounder you want to know if you get a quarter pounder you know you set you set your burger on it yeah. yeah all right but anyways that the uh the blood the the eastern bloodlines was a 416 full uh four six uh 416 grain fully uh loaded out ready to hunt that's fletching's knock um my muzzy trocar 100 grain broadhead ready to hunt that's what i shot last year well when i changed to the the full metal jackets four millimeter full metal jackets it went from that that low low 400s to went to a 486 grain i never broke the 500 grain plane which a lot of forms you read about elk and everybody wants to be throwing these dragon arrows at them which is you know, but you're 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 taking a lot of trajectory and in, in, into the fact when you start going low five hundreds and high five hundreds when you're on your grain. But saying this, wherever somebody wants to have this argument, I shot that bull four or five yards further this year with an arrow, which is a standard arrow you just buy. You don't have to special order. You get your you know your 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 full metal jackets right out of, right out of the box, and it's going to add you know. <clears throat> from your low 400s to your high 400s in your grain and this year instead of not hanging up in the bull it buried to the fleshings in the dirt on the other side of it Ooh, i'm talking about like a whitetail like yeah. it, it hit them and never slowed down 
like i had to i like i had to like push away the grass to find my arrow penetration was incredible with those four millimeter full metal jackets did you did you hit behind the rib cage though you said you were you were left yeah it went it it was in it was in the it was in the ribs okay so it did pass there yeah yeah wow so you still went through that you're shooting a fixed broadhead yeah the muzzy trocars I'm a, I've been muzzy my whole life. Used to shoot four blades. I went to three blade. We used to shoot one twenty five four blades. You know, it was because they were indestructible. They didn't fly very <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. but you could like shoot a telephone box with it, pull it out, <laughs> sharpen it back up, keep going. But uh, I just always been a muzzy fan. And Cam Haynes shoots a muzzy trocar, and I was like, if it works for him, it's going to work for me. So <laughs> I bought them, and uh, they they actually fly. The, they're the best flying broadheads that leave a good uh, blood trail that I've ever used. Like a G5 Montec flies very well. But a G5 Montec, in my opinion, gets very little penetration and leaves no blood trail. And it just, it's, the, the wound cavity is not what, what you're looking for. But it's, you know, it's, it, they, 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 they started the whole, the G5 started the whole, uh, you know, no moving parts one 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 stain uh, you know one stainless or carbon steel broadhead it could be sharpened again with you know with no screws no you know no blades it could be replaced and that's why everybody jumped on that that those muzzy trocars have yet to fail me with whitetails turkeys uh elk I've had great penetration grouse I was gonna say grouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's murderous on grouse. <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of them until until something changes. I'll be shooting them for a very long time. Shoe what works, man. I yeah, say, yeah. I, I shoot mechanicals at the moment, but I've honestly, I I started shooting muzzies, and then I switched to mechanicals, and I've honestly thought about going back to a fixed broadhead again. Which mechanical you shoot? A uh, Rage, extreme. Two and a half inch, two yeah. and four inch cut. Which service. I've had amazing. I've heard a lot of people, oh, Rage is trash. But I've yeah. shot four deer with my Rage Extremes. Four deer and two hogs, and I have had zero. I, I, I just, mean, I, everything's I, I, just I've been a, a massive blood trail, and I, no, nothing ever went far. Yeah, they are incredible in that aspect. But I have a problem with something that doesn't pass through. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what your experience is, but the, my friends that do use them now, granted the deer died very close to their, to where they shot it at, but they just, you just don't get good penetration. I was going to say, I, I've never I, shot a rage that passed completely through, but my only thing with something that's not a pass through is that as it's running through the brush and it's hitting brush, as long as my arrow doesn't break, it's taking that razor blade inside and just cutting. Yeah. Cutting everything. I, I, it's I, just, I, just penetration is so important to me. Yeah. It, if, if I screw up and I hit you know, if I if if I nail the shoulder bone, I want it to bust through the yeah. second shoulder. I don't want it to stop in the first. I mean, uh, the Latvian eagle. This is uh, Giannis Patelis. Giannis yeah. Giannis shot a bull this year that he stepped forward when he pulled when it, you know when he when he let go as a release. The bull lurched forward just on a natural step and he hit him in the ham. And but with the but with the facing way, you can look up the the article. He he wrote a huge, you know, huge article about this because it was it was a mistake, you know, that he he was he was just trying to like just be honest with you, saying you know like hunting's not perfect, right? And uh, he hit the bull in the hand, but the way he was angled with the amount of penetration he had with his setup, that that arrow went through his ham, 
through the gut cavity and actually went through the di- you know his diaphragm up into his up into lungs. lungs. So Basically, like, well, he takes his heart shot him effectively. So what? Well, yeah. But that you, you go back to you talk about that. That's why AJ shot that thirteen point he just killed a few weeks ago up on Campbell. He was shooting VIP broadheads, um, which is a mechanical broadhead. And as soon as he shot, the deer turned and he hit it in the ham. He said four or five inches left of the butthole. Mm-hmm. And it went all it, it that arrow buried all the way into the body cavity. That deer went, he said, thirty yards and laid down and died. Yeah, I was like that. You, I said, you are a lucky son of a bitch. But, <laughs> yeah. but I think if you get it, if you get it past the pelvis, though, once you clear the pelvis and the femurs, man, there ain't nothing but soft all the way, mm-hmm. all the way to the yeah. neck bone, man. I mean, so. But it, it, and, you get it through. But in a perfect world, that two blade rage is like everything you could ever ask for. Yeah. But, so I, I've killed two deer with a rage, and I'm shooting rage chisel tips. Uh, and I haven't had one go more than forty yards with it. Now I'm not a fan of rage for the specific reason that he's fixing names. Same reason I'm not a fan of rages are forty dollars for forty fifty dollars for a pack of three of them. Mm-hmm. shoot a deer you can take that rage and throw it in the garbage well you can buy replacement blades and and fix the blades but i've never shot a rage and not had to buy replacements to do it and and to replace all the blades and everything i've even shot a few rages where i t- i literally had to throw it in a jar garbage because like the shaft on the broadhead itself bent oh yeah it's, they're they are absolutely destroyed after you kill deer now it kills the deer and i'm happy with that i'm like what do you, oh I can't use my broadhead again. Dead animal, man. Yeah, but why? Why when you can go and buy something like an iron wheel that you can resharpen over and over and over and over again and be like, I've killed seventeen deer with this broadhead over the past ten years. I have I have muzzies in my grandfather shot. Right. Yeah. I have some of those. I carry some of those like old muzzy trocars. I carry one in my quiver in case I come across a hog or something because I know it's that it's old, but it's. It'll get her done. Yeah. yeah. It's going to smoke a hog in a heartbeat no matter where I hit it. Yeah. With the, uh, those, with the new trocars, the whole, the whole thing that got me other than, you know, like I was saying, cam hand shoots it. Uh, other than, you know, when I started looking at the actual uh, engineering of the broadhead, the, the weak spot of a muzzy was the fact that it has threads in front of the blades. So that bone, the bone breaking tip they've been selling for God knows how old, how long muzzy's been around. That's that's been their thing, you know. That's like these, you know, these really really hard bone breaking tips that can bust through any bone. Well, the, you know, with those threads being right there, it would actually snap off. Like if you shot a piece of metal, it would break right there. Well, with the trocar, what they did is they put a solid shaft all the way through, no threads, and the blades come in from the back. They slide forward to it, and then your arrow, you know, locks it down, you know, into one piece. And they they engineered that flaw out of the broadhead. Now there's no science behind this, but I had an old man tell me at the check station one time. He asked me what what kind of broadhead did you, broadhead did you shoot? Two blade or a three blade? He didn't care what brand I had. He just wanted to know if it was two blade or three blade. I said two blade. He said good. He said because if you shoot a three blade, you're always guaranteed to nick a rib and turn that arrow some some one direction or the other. He said if you shoot a two blade, you're either going to hit a rib on top and the bottom, or you're going to miss them clean. I was like, man, I mean, makes sense. Yeah, I get it. I don't know the science behind it. If there's any science behind it, but it, I mean, he's Sir, not. What you're saying completely, is completely. Yeah, he's not. He's not yeah. completely incorrect. 
But yep, you would the, be hoping two, that you're you're putting enough kinetic energy behind that arrow to bust the rib when you hit it. Well, so the whole the whole thought is is that with a three blade, you're always going to nick a rib, and it could push your arrow in a bad direction after yeah. it makes contact. Yeah, may, maybe thanks to Ted Nugent, but like the two blades coming back. There's, oh, the two blades. A lot yeah. of two blades out there, and even in the in the elk world, and now there now there's a lot of like you know solid you know solid steel two blades that have like uh the one side bevel so it has to spin the single bevel yeah the single bevel and then they're putting little bleeders behind it mm-hmm. you know which is essentially a four blade but it's like real tiny stuff just to blow open that you know because you're you know yeah. I, and you know an arrow an arrow kills by hemorrhaging not by you know you know energy which is you know coming off of you know a bullet right cavitation effect is what you're looking and talking yeah. about right that, yeah makes that giant cavity when it impacts from the energy yeah right which bruises organs and breaks all kinds of shuts down nervous and, system right yeah whereas a bullet an arrow is just coming in there and cutting the wound channel that's I slicing think things and everything else the word you're looking for is hydrostatic shock yeah, and, yeah bullets yeah with a bullet but so two years in a row two bulls do you think you know what you're doing now or are you going to have to go for year three to prove it to yourself again? I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I feel like from what I've heard from at this point, he's going to have to go for year three, uh, four, five, six, seven. At what point? And still learn something new every single year. At what point do you feel uh, that um, skill takes over and it's not just luck anymore? When do you think you'll reach that point? Whenever I call a bull in somebody else. Ah, fair enough. Hey man, if you could pull if you could call it right to the pickup truck, I'm down next year. <laughs> 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 no, I you know, listen, listen, there's a part of me that's like, man, I don't know. I uh next season let me know when you're gonna go. I gotta get plenty of advance warning. You just gotta, I might go with the whole idea that you're not gonna give it a shot, see what happens, you know, if it doesn't happen, I'll just hunt grouse. I'll just be see, out there. You gotta get you gotta get uh just, just start putting in for preference points. Over the counter. No, just, but I mean, you're wanting to shoot them on the side of the road. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 Look, I, at this point, and, I, and I, if I want to go out and kill an elk, you, you just, I, I can make it happen. Hmm. The point is not, I mean, if it gets to a point where you just go buy one at the farm, right? I mean, like, why? It's so, the story It's the it. adventure. It is yeah. the challenge, but. But, you know, I don't but, want. I don't want to get out there and either one. I, well, one, the first thing is that I want to get out and, and accidentally get me or anybody else in a position where it's dangerous, right? You like you, you, you just you, you went too far and you, you're literally now in trouble. But or, or the other thing is like you don't want to be out there and just suffering through it and not having fun, and and knowing that your physical limitations are realistically, you may as well just be sitting in a tree stand, but. I would. I think I might be willing to make the trip out there, assuming I do the proper preparation. And if the knee doesn't hold up, the knee doesn't hold up. You set your expectations a little lower, and you go out and just hunt grouse and have fun and enjoy the terrain and enjoy what you can do. Like I might go out and give that a shot with with the, with the proper amount of work. And I I can tell you, everybody in the studio right now, like, has, you we're in shape enough to get it done, and it's. You know, it's learning when not to burn yourself out and when to. Because I, I've, I've, I watched, I watched a. Uh, he was set. Uh, he was seventy three years old. 
He was in there where I killed that bull. Now he wasn't in the he didn't he didn't hop the spines that I hopped and like go in the drainage as I went, but he was in there and he actually missed a bull. Like he had the shot. He had his chance. And it was just because he he just wasn't a quitter. Yeah. Like, so I'll say it again. I, I I know I've said it before, but it's an innational ability to suffer. Mm-hmm. You, if you already know that you you're going to em- suffer. And embrace you just, the suck. Yeah. Embrace it and just keep moving. Yeah. You know it's going to suck. And you just keep go Like you said, keep moving. It, it is an innational ability to suffer. Well, so, uh, all of us have a will within us to know that like you feel like you want to stop. But you have that will inside you to tell yourself that you're not going to and you're just going to keep going. Right. Yeah. No, you know, it's funny as I probably shouldn't put myself in the grave yet and uh, just accept that if you're going to commit to going, it's not like you start getting in shape two weeks before for a fellow like me. It's like you start months now. in advance. Yeah, I was going to say start, that. Starting it, in the pool and then working your way up to the treadmill and then finally onto the stair climber and, you know, <laughs> the squat rack and whatnot and get yourself to the point where you can function. We can start meeting here a couple nights a week doing a mountain tough membership. That's what well, I was gonna tell. I was, gonna, <laughs> yeah. I was fixing to say that if Will truly wants a partner next year, people in Planet Fitness are gonna look at me stupid when I'm in there with a ruck on the stair climber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it was. It was no, I, I know what I know what I what I want y'all to do is because uh, I can't convince enough people to want to do it is a uh, a drop camp hunt for caribou. Fly in bush plane ten day oh, hunt, dude. You're talking my stuff. Yeah, I just it's it's everybody wants to do it until they come, you know. Everybody wants to do gangster stuff until it's time to be a gangster. Yeah, you know it's it's and that's I but my next my next step, which granted, you know, it's going to be mule deer and antelope and all that. But you know, my my final frontier is you know the Arctic Circle and you know Yukon moose, caribou, <laughs> fighting grizzlies for your meat. Oh, I'm 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 going to get a I'm going to get a grizzly with a bow. And I'm gonna do it the way Fred Bear did it. I'm gonna be high, I'm gonna be behind a rock, and he's gonna be real close to me. He's gonna well, be, with a longbow, and, and you're on your own on that one. Uh, and there's gonna be a little Indian guy standing behind me with a big rifle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'll stand behind you with that seven mag I got. Ready yeah, go. you better give me a, a daggum uh, three fifty five H and H or something like did that. You, yeah. Did you ever notice in every one of Fred Bear's videos, there was a little Inuit man standing by there with a rifle as big as him? Yeah. Every, every one of his videos. Oh man, you better be behind there with the daggone T Rex gun. I don't. I don't want to interview. I don't, I don't want to interview Fred Bear. I want to talk to that little Indian guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I he's want a, that. He's 40, the guy with the stories. You know, I want yeah. that forty five seventy off Jurassic Park behind me. I don't want yeah. the forty five seventy. The T Rex. Yeah. 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 Let, let's get the let, something something chambered in H and H, and then then we'll talk. <laughs> I, 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 I want to get a Kodiak brown bear with a bow. That'd be something else. I'm I'm going to do it. That'd be sick. Just a bear, period, with a bow. Yeah. If Florida all open there's back bear up. in Florida, period. Okay. Yeah. Or December seventeenth, I got a lease in Georgia that we can all kill bears on. Yeah. Oh, really? Legally? Oh. Yeah, legally. That's the. No, you can hunt bears in Georgia. It's, it's it's well, no, county. no, but yeah, they're not in every county. Like you don't know, like where county? Whereabouts you at? I can't even remember the county. I mean, it is legal though. I did look it up. December seventeenth, you get one day, you can kill two bears. Per person with a Georgia license. Can you bait go. for bears in Georgia? I don't know the answer to that, but I know you can bait in Georgia. I, I know you can bait for deer. You're, you're, that's, well, that, well, that's I, the actually, thing. They're, they're, I don't want to ramble on about up. that, but I didn't. I didn't actually look that up. You know, I I would assume you could. 
but uh, I need I need to look that up actually because I've I've never I've never been a bear hunter. Because I mean, so, they tell you well, you can bait for for deer, but you can't bait for turkey. Right, right. It, it's one species versus the other. I actually had a whole predicament with that. Uh, we had a lease in southeast Georgia where we were baiting for deer. And then somebody came through trespassing on our property and literally dumped cracked corn on every main road in our property all the way down the road before turkey season started. I had to deal with the game board in Georgia over that baiting uh, over the bait on the roads. And I called him and I met him out there on our property in the middle of the day on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. I left work, came out there, met him, rode him around, showed him, hey, I didn't put this bait here. We have a trespassing problem. I showed him trail cam pictures of people on our property that don't belong to our lease. I said, somebody came here and put this out, and I'm afraid they're trying to do it to ruin our spring turkey season. He's like, well, I mean, um, don't uh, don't hunt over the bait, but I'm not going to tell you, you if, if this is where you're going to set up and there's bait there. He's like, if he's eating it, don't try try not to shoot him over the bait. He's like, but I'm not going to. Just avoid the situation. Yeah. Try to avoid the situation. If it can't be avoided, yeah, my- then it can't be avoided, but. <laughs> Thank you for calling me ahead of time. I understand your situation. I don't want to screw your entire turkey season. I mean, me and you hunted, me and you yeah. were a hunter over a road that he dumped corn down. Now, by the time turkey season rolled around, the corn was gone. Yeah. This was four or five days before turkey season. And the crows and everything else got in there and got it. We did not kill a turkey. But still, that was literally every main road through our lease had cracked corn dumped right down the center of it. Yeah. In, in, uh, in Alabama, my uncle... He, he got a lease. It was first year in the lease. I was actually standing there when this happened. Uh, the game warden knew it was there because he, like, he basically staged an ambush for this situation. Uh, my uncle got a he got he got his fi- a ticket for hunting over bait, and the game warden literally. I watched him kick kick the sand, and there was corn in the sand, and but it was from the guys before us. There was obviously no deer on this lease, so they would have ate the corn. But the game warden knew it was there and knew that we were coming from Florida, and he actually busted my uncle for bait we didn't we never put out. And this scenario would have been the same way with you if you wouldn't have you know brought it to their attention. On the on the duck hunting front, for those chasing black bellied whistlers, a lot of times are a little closer to land and residence. That's a as I understand it, that's like a legitimate problem where you've got folks that are either have feeders or are throwing corn or throwing seed, whatever the black belly whistlers. And if you're out there hunting them within that proximity of where the neighborhood, that's the whole conflict, right? Where if they're out there throwing feed to the ducks each morning, and then you go out there and you hunt those ducks and you hunt those ducks within proximity of their feed that they'll get you. And from it's what also saying, kind people a, that are essentially trying to set that trap. So I'll say be, it's also kind of a grayer though. As long as you don't reasonably know, if you've never witnessed them throw that corn out and all you see them is in their yard, how do you know that they're they're eating bait? Well, in that situation, it will not hold up in court if you actually if you actually pushed it. But it's like you have to avoid those situations because who wants to deal with it? Exactly. Who Nobody wants to, actually wants to go to court over it. Who who wants to go to three hearings? You know, yeah. you know, and misdemeanor corner, a quarter felony court over something that you didn't even do. Yeah, I don't want the hassle. Or you could just avoid the situation. Yeah. Yep. But so you will win that case every time if you wasn't the one to put it out. But the game warden's not going to care. He's going to write that ticket anyways. Just yeah, you know, we get into these things, and well, what's the outcome going to be? You know, I think we're all hitting the same thing. It's like 
just try to stay out of trouble. Try not yeah. to hassle people. You might be right, but that doesn't. They might. You might be right, and they might be wrong, but that doesn't mean that you want to pay the price to fight that fight. So you're kind of totally taking a complete change because we were talking about hunting out west. Um, BHA put a thing out about um, asking to sign a petition about extra funding for the horse problem that you got out west. You know, the wild horses and the. I looked into a little bit that you know the population of wild horses and burros, give or take five or six years ago, was like fifty eight thousand, and now it's something like two hundred thousand, or at least I maybe mean, it was a hundred thousand. But at the rate that they're going, with a somewhere between seven and twenty percent growth rate, they think like by twenty forty, the outside projections would be like two million horses out there running around in the same area. Well, we- we run out of diesel fuel. We might be riding horses. Yeah. Well, what, so this is the, here's the frustrating thing. And th- this is not a, this <laughs> is go. not me nagging BHA at all. It, it is because I understand that there's a problem and what they're advocating for is, Hey, let's go throw more money. At. And that's actually what BLM wants. BLM wants more funding to go manage the horses within the tools that are available to them to do it. But the tools that are available to them to do it are essentially uh, uh, not birth control. Yeah, but yeah, birth uh, spay or neutering. I guess the horse, right? right. Start making geldings instead of stallions. Yeah, for the most part, and or you know they go out and they go out and trap, trap like something to twelve thousand horses, and then they they run them off to a farm and wait for people to come adopt them. But all this where I'm going is, man, that is really expensive, right? Yeah, it's all I'd, taking I'd, money out of the budget and out of our taxes and out of what revenue. To go out and solve this problem, all because they are covered under the Horse and Burrow Act that was passed back when Nixon was president. Yeah, at at, at Murray's, uh, you know, we all know Murray. Yeah, the captain came with us in the the other podcast. He at at his cattle ranch, they got two mustangs out there that was like adopted through this program you're talking about. Yep. And you know, I've helped his mom like trying to train these horses, and dear lord, they're a handful. But I mean, this pretty cool though. She got them through that program. They'll never have that wildness out of them. Like they just—they got a wild in their eyes. That yeah, you know, my experience with horses has always been something that was raised, you know, in you know, in 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 the stall and, and around people riding them and everything. But like, I've never I've never witnessed a wild horse before, and they just they got a craziness to them that's like you'll never actually get get rid of. It's pretty. Now you know you got wild horses in Louisiana. Really? Yep. Yes, sir. I've seen them. Like in the marsh? No, like on Fort Polk, Louisiana. Like yeah. you fall asleep and think you're all by yourself and wake up to a, <laughs> there's a three horse o'clock in the there. morning and it's right in your face. Yeah. Wow. Is that like uh, is that like West Louisiana out in the pine? Fort Polk, Louisiana, I think is in kind of in northern Louisiana. Hmm. Yeah. I can tell you it's about uh, 18, 12, 13, 14 hour bus ride from, from Fort Campbell. <laughs> that's that's the home of the Joint Readiness JRTC Joint Readiness Training Center for the Army. Been there too, <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> and they uh, they have wild horses on the base there. Yep. Wild horses, wild goats. Didn't we're, see any goats. All like the goats good, are all over the deck. Sounds place. like good horse meat and goat meat to me. Yeah. But going back to the horses, you know, and the problem with the horses, and it's all majestic, and I'm I got zero problem with the fact that they're out there. But like anything else, they're effectively having the same problem out there that we're having with pigs here. There's too many for the landscape. Because, right, 
if you really go back to the horse population, I think a lot of people know this. There were horses here, then back somewhere in the Plasticine, whatever. And some of them wandered up over through Eurasia. The horses that were still here got wiped out in Ice Age. I don't know exactly what wiped them out. But then they came back here on boats. Yeah, so horses right. that are native to America all died out, and we basically brought them back. So that's how I guess that's how they convoluted that they're they're not an invasive species. But now you have all these horses out there that nobody can do anything with except spend a whole pile of money that if it was ineffective when there was 50,000 horses, you can go double that budget, but now there's twice as many horses. It's not going to be any. They were just chasing this problem. And the thing that I found frustrating as a sportsman is all of these things are essentially taking money out of the things that ultimately are ammunition. We've talked about Pittman Robertson a hundred times. You're taking money out of that budget to manage this to some extent to manage these horses. Yet there's an awful lot of guys, at least I would, I'd go out there, whack a horse. I'll eat anything. I, I mean, I look at the size of a horse and I'd be like, man, there's an awful lot of burger well, you, in that you, horse. You look at a horse too, and they're going to eat the same thing that the elk are. Well, that's yeah. the thing. They, they're, yeah, they're, they are, they are pushing out all these other species. And, and, and as far as the, the sage and the habitat, that's also real fragile. Like you can you you roll a jeep through sage, come back ten years later, you can tell somebody rolled a jeep through there. Yeah, it takes a long time, right? And there, and it's all that habitat's under threat for a whole bunch of reasons. And then you got you're pushing horses through there, that are I mean, not saying the horse intends to destroy, it just does because the horse is being a horse. And and I guess that's where I'm expressing my frustration. Is that man? I, I get the idea of asking for money, and maybe more money is needed, but. We're all seeming to avoid the obvious because it's it is such a let's face it for all of us that might look at it logically and maybe don't have the I think it's completely possible to say I respect the majesty of the horse like I, I get it man I respect the majesty of the horse I don't want them all gone but we can say the same thing about deer we can say the same thing about elk none of us want them gone but at the same time we like to pursue them we like to eat them we don't have to justify why. I don't see why I can't apply that same thing to a horse. I know we can't because they packed this past, this act, and the only way it'll be lawful to use regulated hunting to manage the population is you have to have a senator or a congressman sponsor an act, sponsor an amendment, go through all those processes through committee. But, man, we can't seem to get things like wolves fully worked out. Yeah. There's no way in God's green earth, unfortunately, because you have people that are just totally emotional, ignore all the rest of the damages being done. I, I don't know, man. That's my frustration because I, I really wish there would be a senator or a congressman that would say, you know, I'll take this up and I'll just keep throwing it out there until eventually we get enough traction. Because that's here's the thing. When there's a million horses out there, devastating the area, and all of a sudden you lose things like sage grouse. So how what's more important, right? Is the sage grouse less or more important than the horse? Are they equally important? Because I'm pretty sure that you have that problem. You can like forget about sage grass hunting in Nevada eventually, right? There's, there's like, I don't know, man. There's some like eighty thousand horses running around Nevada. Say I'm a say I'm a Nevada rancher. I have eight thousand acres, and is it legal for me to go on that BLM and just catch me some horses so I can break them? Unlawful. They used to do it. It's unlawful. So we need big government to tell us that we can go catch the horses that's tearing up our land. Can't do it. They're protected that's since like 1972 back before the manners guys used to ride out there because they were a feral species there was there was people that made their living rounding up horses 
and and selling them to Alpo, man. I mean, that's what they but, did. But now we got to take taxpayer dollars to tell us that it's okay to go get the animals that are destroying it. Yeah, because back in the seventies, I guess that the guys that were were using unregulated means, I, I guess, had managed to winnow the population down to where there weren't too many of them. But they've got something like a twenty percent. I guess in good years, man, that population will grow twenty percent. That's that, a that's amazing, man. That, that's a that's a lot. So if the growth rate between seven and twenty percent, you don't need too many years before you're going to have unbelievable horse populations out there. And like I said, no, I'm just I'm spitting in the wind here because I really, I mean, I from what I I asked and I. I Josh Cabot from BHA con- kindly contacted John Gale, who's their, like their director, and and from the message that came back, and I'm not trying to spit anything incorrectly, so if I'm wrong, don't shoot me. But the what seemed to be being com- communicated back to me through their guys was like there is zero appetite in Congress to address that. They don't even want to throw more money at the problem. Well, it's apparently. also an election year, so yeah. No, but I mean, it's not like well, you know, we'd like to. We're just waiting for the right conditions. I got the feeling it's like just nah, there's just no. Yeah. It's such a hot potato. Well, that's a pita nightmare. Oh yeah, Man, they would they would make especially millions. on the horse. Oh, they're killing the poor ponies. Yeah, people yeah. go nuts. It's a yeah. pita, it's a pita nightmare in a area that has been focused on you know like big game animals. So it's just like why why open up another box you know open up another can of worms? They're just leaving it alone. It's tough, put, man. It's put, tough. Putting their focus elsewhere. I don't know. And, I, I, you know, here we are living in Florida. It's not really our problem. So yeah, I'm, doing, I'm doing the same thing I can't stand with people. Yeah, you, you kind of fall because I'm not out there aware of the devastation. You know, I've in New Mexico, we saw where horses were, right? We saw – and you could tell when horses go through an area. It's kind of like – it's not the same as when pigs go through, but you're just like, wow, man, there's something big went through here and – nipped off everything i mean it's obvious they've been feeding right um so i you you could definitely see that it wouldn't it doesn't take that many horses to quickly change in the landscape of an area but anybody that's ever hunted on a lease with cattle on it you see that so pains prairie wild horses in florida oh yeah buffalo too there's also there's also like 130 class deer that you can walk up and touch in pains prairie (laughs) i used i used to run i used to run all over that and just I would go out there and just you know exercise back and forth and you know it's a preserve these deers grew up around people every year so it's like they're just not scared you can walk right up to them it's actually a pretty cool place so we need to find some places to hunt around it then you want to, <laughs> you, you want to talk about birds oh, oh. man there there is some birds out there I know some guys that have some private land like on the edges of it where there's I mean their their private land still has prairie in it mm-hmm. son they smoke some birds they got them i mean it's it's I, I i wonder what year that the government took over that and made it what it is i mean it's just a this huge nature i think preserve. the buffalo were released out there weren't they yeah well, I, yeah, yeah they, they didn't were, they didn't yeah. travel they're not here. wild here yeah. yeah and i imagine if there's wild horses out there it's a small enough area that they with a concentrated effort they could probably keep that under wraps, where when you're talking about Nevada, I mean, if you've if you've been out in Nevada, man, once you get outside of like Reno or North Las Vegas, you can go a long way, and it's just I think uh, sage. I think too, if you take Florida man 
and give him a wild horse, uh, lawful or not, he's probably going to try and catch it and probably well, yeah. I, do something with it. You guys ready to jump in the tip of the week? I think so. I, I got, I got one. one. I got oh, one to lead it off with. Bastard, Hit go it. for it. You and I said it mind. today when I posted that 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 reel to Facebook. Uh, 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 the deer that I shot uh, on Sunday, and that is uh, that success cannot be routinely achieved without hard work and dedication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you can find success through luck every now and then, but hard work and and, and dedication to your end goal is is what's going to routinely breed success time after time after time after time after time. And I think that's what I found when we uh, when we hunted our first quota this year, uh, and I really found that we I, I personally I know that you can't spend that much time, but being that I'm marital status single um i have that time to be able to go to places like that and put more time in so that when i figured that out on our first quota i said you know what i need on this second one if we are going to have success i have to put the time in oh it's not the fact that i'm married it's the fact i got two kids yeah, yeah. <laughs> that keeps me from from running around all over the place. Uh, my wife doesn't care. She she'd rather have me out of the house so we didn't have kids. I mean, we were married, and didn't have kids. It was, you know, I, I she I told her one time, "What are you doing this weekend?" I said, "I'm going to hang out with you." She said, "Why?" <laughs> I said, "Okay, well, I guess I'm going to the woods then." <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I knew that I had to put that time in if the, if we were going to be successful. Yeah, and we so. were, and it, it paid off. Uh, I said time, time and research. Time, the little bit of time you put in got us to where we needed to be, and then we put in just a little bit more in the following mornings, and that got us to got us dialed into the spot. Yeah, and it paid off. Put a deer on the ground, meat in the freezer. Yeah, put there a dang good deer on the ground. What uh, the process we took to scraps said that that buck was at least six years old. I believe that. He didn't have any teeth. He didn't have any of his. All he I, had was his front teeth, and he was missing some of his front teeth. He didn't have any any other teeth. In I mouth. thought when I when we stuffed that tongue in there that I uh, looked at it, I said, "Man, that, that's an old deer." I could have told you an old deer because he had just the mass amount of scarring on his face, and then he had a hair, uh, just a fat patch of hair missing on his neck. Yeah, he I had mean, to fight off could, all them gators yeah, around there. You could literally tell that that deer had fought for every ounce of life, life that he had. And you're not doing a... I'm going to do it. No, no, you couldn't because there's a, a daggum spot the size of the there's top of your dang uh, polar, polar pop, pop cup here missing a hair missing out of his neck. From, oh, like from mange though or something like that? I don't know no, if it's it mange just, or It had what, a scab but, in the middle of it. Yeah. yeah. It builds, ca- it builds but, character. Yeah. Yeah. Not that one. I mean, you can see I was actually... I, I've got, got a... Scars, so my, my 13 point inside his is patchy on his on his uh, cape where he was where he was fighting. But not that bad. Not that giant chunk <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. And yeah, the backs... Literally, the backs of his ears had no hair. The backs of his ears were nothing but ticks. Mm-hmm. But he's going to get a good European mount. He's got a really unique rack. And it, it's funny thing is it's got two holes in the back and one hole in the front. And I feel like if I get that piece of whatever it is in the middle out of there. Don't I take can, it out. Yeah, but well, then it's going to play like a whistle. But if I get it out, I can probably play like a flute. <laughs> <laughs> so so his horns were hollow? So his left side, his left side got, as best I can tell, got busted in velvet. Mm-hmm. I, see, I seen where it was broke and then it kept regrowing. Yeah, he's got a hole that runs clean through that left side. 
the processor said that he would be willing to assume that at least this rack that he has now never uh, came off. I don't. I don't think that's a fact. I don't think yeah. so either. But that's what he said. I, I think he got busted in velvet because that that rack is not. Uh, it's the, not the, the one size not wild enough. Well, it's not. It's not run slap smooth like it should be if he he carried it for a long time. Yeah. Hard horn. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it would stay in velvet if he yeah. kept it year round. I think the piece that's inside that hollow is a piece of calcium. Piece of calcium or a piece of bark. If you look uh, have at y'all it. have y'all done any research on deer that have holes or hollow spots in their horns? It's the ticks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was I, thinking the same thing that maybe the ticks are just annoying the hell out. I mean, of he's got like got, a big. And he just really, really rubbed it hard. And I think it, I think it makes it a You could spot fit like a big shooter marble inside yeah, that he's hollow got, spot. He's got a pretty good hollow spot in it, and nice. I, I think it has mostly. You, you see, the fact you see a lot of that in. These Florida, these malnutrition Florida bucks. So we have the, the palmation. Oh, you let have, me tell you what. That deer was not malnutrition based on the fact that because I hit gut when I because the the slug stayed inside of him. Mm-hmm. We got over to him. There was a pile of acorns. He'd been eating nothing but acorns. For well, I'm not saying that he doesn't I mean, have the food. Yeah, he yeah, does have food, but it's like you know the actual mineral levels. Yeah, he doesn't have stuff. like row crop type mineral. Right. He's yeah. he's eating acorns. He's eating you know gallberries and tie dyes. You know, it's it's just you know that's why our deer are smaller. And we but, had literally we had hit the the edge of this cut, and we were sitting right on the edge of the cut, and a bunch of dang, uh, like scrub oak, right on the edge, like a hundred and fifty acres of Florida prairie. We're on the edge of that. It's gorgeous. I, I think I think Florida has some of the coolest, uh, you know, some uh, terrain. Like, no, like we have, we have like the, some of the coolest genetics in the white tail world, but our, our poor nutrition means that we can't, it's never, it's never shown. It's, it's like, a scraggly ass crackhead looking deer. It's like, it's like how, how, how many places in the country do you see palmation and, and horns? It's mostly here. You know, you don't see those blades. I mean, there's, there's a guy killed, uh, uh, a buck up in Levy County a couple of years ago. This like every point was a blade. I, I wish I could I could go grab my thirteen point and my son's arm and show it to you now because he's all every single horn except for his base it's all flat. But you you didn't kill him in Florida though, right? No, I killed him in Kentucky. Oh really? Yeah. So it was all bladed out. Kentucky. But he was he was super deep in the swamp, mm-hmm. just nasty bottoms. I would say that's another one of those. If he was super deep in the swamp, you got to think that's another swamp deer, and that's what most. Oh yeah, no, he's Florida he's a real a, a super tight basket, a, a super tight rack. I mean, he's only got like a. 13 and a quarter inch inside spread, but he's super, super tall, huge mass. I mean, there's, there's not, it's not this big expansive 13 point rack that you, you would think when I say well, I not, shot a 13 point. Well, now, now I'm curious, like if he just say, say that deer lived in that bottom, like he was obviously getting the nutrition from whatever's growing down in the lowlands of that. I'm wondering if like around that moisture and that water and the creeks and the bottoms and the swamps, if that if them them deer are getting those the the nutrition that's growing their horns that way, because like we have a lot of that here in Florida, the whole state's low. Getting the minerals out of the water, right? I, I wonder. I like. I, I don't know. I'd love to see the you know the we data. We come across a that. heavy sulfur spring. I also I also shot him on the edge of an impact area, and they did test little boy nuclear bombs at at Fort Campbell. So you never know what we're coming yeah. across over there. So. <laughs> I ate that deer. I haven't grown a third arm or anything yet, so we'll see. If only it was a leg. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go next? I got you. So 
Y'all know I had boat problems on Friday. Oh, let me know. Listen, you, let me oh, tell you. Yeah, hold up. Yeah, let's yeah, let's yeah. back it up. My tip of the week is, is if you got a mud motor, you take your stuff to sit because he'll take care of it. This is funny because Over your tip of the week last motors. week was was charge your boat battery. And then we go out the following week. I had it charged. And well, you charged your boat battery. I would have charged it uh, the night before we went out there, but it was raining. I didn't want to hook up the battery charger in the rain. I'm having my battery charger out in the rain. Put it inside a uh, underneath a five gallon bucket. So, uh, but so I will, I will tell you though, when Briar texted in the in the group chat, he's like, "Hey, my boat took a dump," and I told William, I was like, "I'm gonna be honest with you, I love Briar to death, but uh, as much as it took us to get on this island, if oh, we I, are going to get I Briar. He's, to. he's gonna wait till we finish this hunt. Yeah. <laughs> I I told y'all not to be in no rush. Y'all fin- like yeah. finish your hunt because I was drifting back toward the ramp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have a car, much less ability to get to my. So boat. I wasn't. Work, I wasn't <laughs> well, we were we like, were gonna get him, but it was gonna be at night in the dark after we like like I then, had enough time where I could have drifted back to the ramp and like paddled over there, you know. Then he then he cranks it. He finally cranks it. Comes and meets us after the after we go to move the boat, and then we're like, yeah, you could probably shut it off, right? He, he shuts it off. We sit in silence for a while. Wouldn't start. Had to pull the battery out of Jordan's boat, put it in Briar's boat, fire Briar's boat up, put the battery back in Jordan's boat, and then Jordan somehow ended up hooking the battery up accidentally backwards. Well, I put the battery Ooh. in the opposite way that I normally put it in. So. This, this is the craziest part about it. Jordan's boat is notorious for not wanting to run, right? It, it always has an issue every now and then. It runs 100% of the time, 60% of the time. Uh, <laughs> but time. he put the battery in backwards, and the boat still cranked. <laughs> Yeah. And it ran That's until the fuel pump was pushing fuel the wrong direction <laughs> and ran the motor out of fuel. And then he realized it was backwards. But, uh, well, to my point is, you know, I, I went over and I had, you know, Sid, I don't, I mean, like I didn't, I called ahead just to make this sure is they were fast. open. Sid Tyson with fast duck motors. Fast duck motors. I mean, yeah. I went over there out of the blue. They took care of me. Like, yeah, we'll look at it. They looked at it right then. That's you know, I, you know, and that's what I told William uh, when you had said that Sid had fixed and everything. I said that's I love the shit out of Sid because you can show up with a broken boat, and if it's a quick, easy fix, Sid's gonna right there handle oh, yeah. it. You're gonna be out of Sid's shop. Sid has an enormous waiting list of who knows how many people, but if you're one of Sid's, if it. it I don't want to say if you want to say it's people. You're if, you're if, a regular customer with yeah. Sid. If yeah. you're a regular customer with Sid and you show up with something that's small, Sid's gonna fix it right there and there and get you out. You know, I, and I I've texted you. Sid at ten o'clock at night before because I do a lot of the own work, my own work on my boat, but I buy my parts from Sid. Yeah. Well, so uh, I've texted Sid at ten, eleven o'clock at night and been like, "Listen, I'm working on my boat, and I've gotten to this point, and I don't know what to do from here." And Sid'll Instantly respond. You do this from here. Do it, but run fine. Like I mean, I went over, went up there, and I was, all I said is, "Hey, man, I want you to show me because my battery was dead, so I couldn't crank it there. Show me where I need to check to see if this thing is charging my battery." And I said, "Back it right up here, all right." And it was he had one of the guys over there checking on everything, and found out it was, was a rectifier. It? Hmm. Rectifier gone bad. Twenty dollars usually. Here you go. See you later. They had it on. I coated the motor and I knocked and everything for a left. 
You're a hobby. That's right. I got one next. He even gave me a little can of Inox for free. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, you paid for Can't it with the battery, it, yeah. but... Yeah. yeah. Hey, close enough. <laughs> yeah. Fast duck motors. That's your place, man. Uh, but if you got a mud motor and you're close enough, man, take it to Sid. He'll, he'll fix an outboard, too. And carry extra keys. That's a good and, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, I was in Arkansas hunting by myself, and by God, it was cold. And I run... I tried to make a curve too sharp like I had an outboard. And you can't do that with a mud motor. And I run up in a, I run up in a, a fallen tree. Snatched Wrong the, hole. Yeah. Snatch, <laughs> snatch the key out. And I didn't know it until I hit the key, the kill switch. And I ain't got no key. <laughs> That's why granddaddy always said, son, fish upstream. <laughs> Might That's be a why, while, uh, but we can get back to the truck that way. <laughs> That's why you need to go buy your gator tracks. Yeah, that that thing gator tracks whole turn on a dime with that. Motor. It will. Oh, I can chew a wire in half. We'll hot wire that bad boy. <laughs> so yeah. I tell you, you say carry extra keys. I actually carry a set of like a, uni- a universal kill switch set in my blind bag. Yeah. Yep. I only carry it because I lost. I thought I thought I lost a kill switch to my my boat motor. Uh, then I found it a year later in the pocket to my my duck hunting jacket. Uh, but I now have two kill switches from my boat. <laughs> but I also have one that fits everybody else's too, so it works out. There you go. So I got one. Uh, I'm going to say, having from what we figured out in, the, uh, in our first year of dedicated, trying to dedicate ourselves to public land, uh, be prepared to cook, man. Get a jet boil, get a MSR pocket rocket, I Get mean, you one of them little heaters that we was cooking on. Yeah. Making keep, fried deer Keep a cast iron in your truck. Yeah. I have one. Just in case you got to build a fire. We'll, we'll show coals. you We'll show you that dang, the little heater that I got that heats a mean cast iron. We, we made some mean up. squirrel our first weekend. I brined it for like five days. Well, I soaked it in salt water for a week and then I brined it for five days. So it, it soaked for a week and a half. Did it tenderize it? And then we it fried did. it. Yeah. Oh, and it then killer. we fried it in bacon grease. Hundred percent pure bacon grease. Oh I mean I'm about to go buy like five pounds so of bacon I'll, grease. I, and make I think I gave more. it last week, but I'll give it this week again. I took that squirrel, I put half a cup of water in a bowl. And it was a bowl that was big enough that I knew I could fill it up to where it would cover the whole squirrel. I stuck a chicken bouillon cube in there. And I heated the water up for three minutes where I knew it would come to a boil. And then I stirred the bouillon cube in, put, I was extremely gracious with minced garlic, put it in there, and then I poured two bush lights in there with it. And then put a bunch of kicking cowboy in there, threw the squirrel back in, let him sit for a day and a half. And then flipped him over and he sat for another day and a half and then threw him in a plastic bag and took him out to the hunt. Mint. It was interesting because the salt and the beer came through the meat. It was good. That was the best squirrel I ever had. Easily. It was good. And then fried it in bacon grease. You know, the tenderization of a squirrel is key. Yeah. That's that's the problem with the limb rat is he's tough. (laughs) <laughs> you know that's where you always everybody's in a hurry you always throw them in the pressure cooker but that cooks them through buttermilk yeah buttermilk takes the the wildness out of anything that's why i like salt water if you ever run over a goose at the mall it's the best way to cook them <laughs> yeah. man speaking of geese I, I was out at the ocala equestrian center having lunch with the fella today 
man they had speaking of horses big old flock of geese out there yeah and i don't think they were uh i think they were wild but just stopping by and i was like geese in ocala they're coming south (laughs) (laughs) hopefully the geese in lake apocas that 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 little bit of cold weather we had the other day yeah it really 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 pushed migratory birds down good they crunk them up my tip of the week it's kind of interesting because you just talked a little bit about cooking and you talked about preparation and I came prepared today for tip of the week. But my tip of the week in your cooking was about preparation. And it, it, I guess it's not really intuitive. I'm not really sure when I started doing it or why. But I see a lot of people when they're getting ready to try to cook something, especially if it's in a you know, relatively involved meal, it's like they almost start off with, well, I'm going to turn the stove on. And then they throw something in a pan and they're re- trying to read a recipe and measure stuff out along the way. It's like, no, 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 man. Read the recipe. In fact, that's why a lot of cookbooks have all your ingredients listed first and the technique second. Go get all those things, man. If it takes three quarters of a cup of something and a tablespoon or another thing, and man, get out your little ramekins and your dishes and get it all laid out. Get it all poured out because after that, man, it's it's usually plug and play. And other little tips is like, I mean, you don't have to put, if you're doing a maripois, you don't have to have, your onions, your carrots, and your celery, or if you're doing the Trinity onions, peppers, and celery. You don't have to have them all in one dish. They're all going at the same time. You can put them all in there, right? Or if you're going to be adding a spice mix and salt and pepper and cayenne or whatnot, but it's all going to go at the same time. You can all put it in one dish, but have it all measured out. And then, you know, when you're kind of going through your steps, it's just, and all of a sudden you end up with a great meal. And other than other things, if you're trying to get two things come together, take the time to figure out, okay, um, it's maybe this you know for a lot of people like yeah I mean this really isn't tip of the week until we cook you'd be shocked at the number of the people that cannot seem to even put together you know like potatoes corn and meat and have it all ready at the same time you know, it's it's as simple as getting prepared before you start to cook and figuring out okay at this point in the process I gotta walk over to the microwave and it starts on my that corn is, that, is, you know? that is extremely hard for a normal person Okay, so maybe this is a good tip of the week, but I just <laughs> think about what you plan your work, work your plan. That's really what it is when you're doing with cooking. That's it's an amazing thing seeing somebody that knows how to cook or an actual professional chef or somebody that's actually studied that art and how they can cook, you know, four things to perfection at the same time. And be cutting things and cooking things with active heat and moving through it's it's, it's an art form. And it's amazing compared to somebody that's really good at cooking something, not multiple things at a time. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a common skill for people to have. Yeah. And if you're going to cook in the field, like, and I'm trying to pat myself on the back. It's common things. Like when we went out and did that, uh, whiskey cream sauce that I cooked on that other steak, it was steak, right? What I, anyway, I did a whiskey yeah, cream. You bag. had everything pre-portioned. Man, I had every, yeah. I had everything pre, I mean, I had the butter cut up and then little different bags. So whatever different things we were doing, it was just. You know, just putting together one step, you know, so I didn't, I wasn't trying to cut butter, you know, out there and, 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 and trying to carry a whole bottle of oil out there. I had it all pre-measured in little Ziplocs and then the cleanup at the end was just throw the Ziplocs in a garbage bag and roll. Um, but little, little steps like that will allow you to function a lot better in the field, function a lot better in the kitchen and hopefully put together some things that, you know, people want to eat and enjoy and. It is nice to get the pats on the back, and, and I, you know I like getting them too. But I just like making good things that other people like to eat. 
And I don't know how, if you guys are just incredibly polite or if I managed to hit a couple of really good meals in a row, because I'm sure I got a stinker coming. And when it comes, it's, it's okay to be like, hey, man, you missed on this one. Don't get, That's don't, good yeah, input, I'll, you know? I'll tell you. Yeah. I haven't had anything that you cooked, Jen, yet that wasn't good. But, it, but Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, as many good meals as I've had that you've cooked, Jim, if you make a, a meal that tastes like shit, I, I'm definitely going to tell you. All right, good. I mean, and I mean, these are things, a lot of these. I'm, I'm going to tell you what that meal is missing, though. It's, it's like watching Alabama football. We're just waiting yeah. on a loss now. It's like, we expect you to win, but we're going to cheer when you lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, and it's okay. And, and I mean, I, I've also, I haven't really tried anything out on you guys yet either. Like everything I've, everything I've brought in, I've made before. So it's already been through a couple of, of well, you, you know, so today I made the chimichurri sauce, right? And I, and I like my chimichurri sauce a little saltier and a little, little, little more garlic and, and pepper than a lot of people like it. Because if not, to me, it's just like eating oil and, and parsley. It's bland. It's, it's just, but I'm a bold spice guy. But for you, if I were to make it again, if I knew you were coming, I'd pull I'd pull a clove of garlic and a pepper out of that because so, I knew you'd enjoy it more. Right. right. So it's, they're just trying to cook to people's taste. Um, so you don't get it 100% right 100% of the time for 100% of the people. That's just impossible. But um, the whole point of my tip of the week was – Think about what you're going to do before you turn the stove on. It'll probably come out a lot better. And the other thing, Jim, is a lot of these things that I've had is generally like either cuts or stuff that I didn't think I was going to like because I don't particularly like organ meat or I don't like fish. But I have liked it when I ate Jim's. I was just honest. Sure. Well, well but that, I didn't get it all right right away, man. The first time I tried to cook a venison steak – Oh my God, man! It was dry and gnarly, and I cooked it. I didn't realize, man, venison—the middle's got—I don't. You can't even do me venison medium rare if you're doing a big cut of meat. It's 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 medium raw. It's, yeah, it's gonna be middle. blue rare. When you see yeah. the juice run out of it, it's already it's too done. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Will, I, did you give your tip of the week yet? Or, or I did not. My 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 tip of the week is don't ever let yourself get comfortable because you know. When every every time you let yourself get comfortable, you are you you're you're not you're not learning anything anymore. I, I every day do something that makes you uncomfortable. If it's physical or mental or something, keep growing your edge. If even if it's just sitting down and thinking about what you're going to do in scenarios, uh, just you know just stay in the game. So when the game day shows that when, when it's time for you to perform, that it's actually easy because like in your mind, you've already been there so many times and that's, that's just kind of my outlook on life. So I like it. That's a good tip. That's good. That's good. Cause there are a lot of times where you, you just feel like you, uh, you might uh, almost, you're, you're, you're too afraid to do something right. And then, uh, or you're too afraid to ask some question, and then uh, you do it or you ask it and you're like, well, that was a whole lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Because if you put yourself in those scenarios, you may, you know, if you're, you know, I'm just telling you, in a classroom scenario, how you, if you're bad at public speaking, you got to speak in public. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I, I like, like with me with hunting, like as a child, I ran scenarios through my head so many times with like big bucks, like that, like when it came to the time when I was actually 
could hunt big deer. It was just muscle memory. Like I didn't even get excited until after. And then I pulled the trigger and I was like, holy crap, that, that just happened. To the point where I would get more exciting when I would see a three point because I didn't plan on that. Yeah, right. And I would panic, you know, because in my mind, I didn't, I didn't go through that scenario. I would say I, I felt a lot of that this past weekend because as much time as I'd put in, I really didn't think, I thought that if we saw deer that it was going to be like a barely legal Florida buck. And then that deer stepped out and I was like, oh shit. Oh, there's there is some holy shit moments. Dude, when you yeah. tell you, yeah. Pu- was, publicly in Florida telling, hunting, when yeah. you see a big rack buck, you're like, I, uh, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> I, we didn't we didn't see this coming, guys. We're gonna we're just <laughs> yeah. gonna move forward just, from this. I told Briar that after William had shot that buck, because William like he shot and he couldn't see through his smoke, but when he shot, I saw it quarter real hard and when it quartered real hard i saw blood just pour down its side and i was like that sucker's dead but william's reloading his muzzle loader and he's trying to put his dang like uh the ramrod he's trying to put the ramrod back like in. A, it sounds like a maraca it's just dig a mariachi band over there did you get that big adrenaline dump or you actually shake it work did you get that so over the years, like anymore, when a when a buck steps out or a deer steps out, I get the initial in, the the initial dump, but I'm able to channel my experience to calm myself down in the moment. But as soon as I shoot, it's just. I was gonna. I was gonna say, I, feel, I feel like we. I'm both jealous, can, man, and there, I, I don't mean this in any sort of braggadocious way. I I don't get that anymore. And I'm, I miss it. Like, I feel like oh, it's, it's the opposite. That. It's not like, oh, I'm so experienced. I I, I, I kind of fear that. I'm like, because when, when you used to get that adrenaline hangover, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Will, when you get that that adrenaline hangover where it all leaves and it causes you to shake a little bit. I, if I, I ever I, lose I, that. I hope I get it back. If I ever lose that, I'll quit hunting deer. Mm, no, you won't. I just uh, that because it I like I said I've I've got to the point now where I can see a deer step out and I can calm myself down and I can make the shot, but once all the intense moment is gone, then it's just the whole all hell breaks loose and I'm shaking wow. and excited and there's else. there's something about loading a muzzle loader when you with the unknown of a cloud of smoke in front of you and you're just fumbling stuff. I bet it took me, it (laughs) it felt like it took me 10 minutes to get that speed loader out of my pack. It did take you forever. You had to get it back on top of the muzzle. I got mine still ready. Like, God, if I got to shoot, I'm fixing it. (laughs) I I remember as a kid, like, cause before they had the preloaded speed loading little deals, we had the little tubes that we would make at the house and you'd have like four or five of them in your pocket. And like, I would, I would be going through scenarios in my head. Like I pull the trigger, I pull the shot out of smoke i gotta take this turn it over pull the cap dump that then where's my primers you gotta have my primers ready and then you pull the trigger and you're just like <laughs> 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 yeah like you know it's not just, only not only was that not only was that my first florida deer that was my first deer with a muzzleloader as well oh dang and after and and you will have respect for a muzzleloader from now on because it is oh i'm shooting my muzzle the rest of the deer season this year. it is devastating yeah. And you know, you know, like it's easy. Dude, it looked like somebody put a golf ball inside of that thing. Yeah. Well, you're shooting a you shoot a 400 grain, 50 caliber ball. <laughs> yeah. That's it's like it's like throwing travel at the speed of a slow pitch softball. Yeah, so I, I was just saying <laughs> yeah. that. I was like, it's like throwing a lead softball at him. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. You, my buddy Jason and I were talking about the same thing that there's, we just have a little differently that it's boom and there's a big cloud of smoke and it's big enough that usually if you don't know what's going to happen, it's like when it, when it dissipates, a lot of times it's just tipped right over. Like got the air, one hoof in the air, like, ah, pick me, you know? And then the other times it's like, where did it go? I'm positive. Like, I know I didn't miss, but I have no idea which direction it ran. You know, you kind of get out and you're like, oh, there's blood. It, we were, in, we in were fortunate experience. enough to where I was able, he couldn't see past the Scottish smoke, I, but I was far enough to see around it. And I saw where it went and where it died. I but, also saw the deer fall. There, he, he was he was on his feet enough to when he stopped and just kind of fell over. I, I watched him fall at yeah. about four yards. But I think had we had the blood trail, we had a hell of a time. What's behind door number one? Because we did, we honestly at that point when we hit the ground, there were so many palmettos and everything everywhere that once we hit the ground, we didn't know where the deer was was standing when you shot it. I never saw blood. But of course, I never really looked for it either because I knew where the deer was and yeah. really, you know. Uh, I mean, even getting we up were. close to it and like in, in the range where it fell, we, I mean, I'll we, bet if we you, were within blood range, but we never. I'll bet if you were to, if you were tracking blood, this just seems, and it's weird because you're right, it's such a devastating hole. A lot of times, if they run, I'll find a splattering of blood, like it's like somewhere behind it. You know, like especially if you've double lunged, man, it looks like like what you'd expect if if something blew through lungs. But then they take off, and and there seems to be a pretty decent distance before you'll find the next blood. But then when you do find it, then it looks like something from a Freddy Krueger movie, right? You know, so that's well, cause, it's because after that initial shock, you get the you get the blow through, and then you know the body's trying. Your body's trying to regroup, and then actual the lungs start pumping again. The heart's still pumping, and then that's like like twelve yards into it. So a lot of times where it'll happen, and then the body starts pushing out the blood, and then you actually pick up your blood trail. But when it's in, when it's in an open area, you know what I mean. When it, when you've got fifteen yards to cover before you hit some palmettos mm-hmm. and some leaves, or you start picking it up. That's like a lonely fifteen minutes, man. Well, I, I did that, like what he was talking it? about. Like it, it was a hard blood trail. I mean, the uh, I was that was before the Marine Corps. The best it was the best muzzleloading season probably everywhere. I killed th- uh, three rack bucks, and uh, one of them was the biggest the biggest Florida buck I ever killed in my life. And um, and the one of them deer, I shot him on the ground at like eighteen yards, and I shot that deer, and I never found a drop of blood freaked out called my uncle because i'm losing my mind at this moment is i just shot a deer at 18 yards on the ground that was the closest i'd ever done it not running hounds and he had he there was blood everywhere but i just wasn't in the right spot and i just wasn't thinking straight and it was you know in pine needles i mean you can dump a bucket of blood in pine needles and it's hard to see it's all dark yeah it just yeah. And it, it you just, end up seeing just a little itty bitty drops on top even mm-hmm. underneath it it's it just wow. it just soaks up and just becomes the color of the pine needles. So I'll give you one more tip before we go ahead and cut this off. When you're when you're trying to blood trail that deer that you think you 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 know you made a good shot on, you can't find blood to it, and you got a buddy out there to help you. When you're like he was standing right there, climb all the way back up into your tree stand and have your buddy stand where that deer was standing. That's huge. Because I've that had I had huge. a buddy tell me that deer was standing right here. And I said, Where's your climber at? He said, On this I said, Walk back to your climber. He stood at the bottom of the tree. I said, that deer was not standing here. 
I, and I looked at his climber and I stepped over eight feet because where he said it was, he looked, couldn't find no blood. I stepped over eight feet into the next patch of sand and there was a blood trail. Mm-hmm. But where he told me it was standing, you couldn't even see his tree. Wrong tree. Yeah. Wrong patch of sand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it, you're not an elk guide yet, uh, but you do got some pretty awesome fishing trips. So yeah. on the Atlantic coast, tell everybody where they can find you to get out fishing with you. Downsouthfishingcompany.com. <laughs> you got a website now? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's on his Facebook it's, page. Yeah, it's just one one click away. It's it's just like any other booking uh, booking agency. You pick your dates and automated emails, text messages, everything awesome. you want. That's a hell of a fishing trip. I mean, we yeah. went out. On, We're gonna have to get back a, out with you for sure. On a oh, day yeah. that was arguably weather wise less than stellar, and we put plenty of damn fish in the boat and had a blast. We had a full box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need to either go the last week of April, first week of May. Or, it's going to be hard this time of the year, but, like, plan on it, like, this time of the year when everybody else is, you know, they're trying to take pictures with plaid shirts on and pumpkins. Let's go fishing. But the first the first week of April, last week, I mean, I mean the last week of April, first week of May is going to be our major mahi push generally every year. And that's, that's when we're going to get our 30-pound bulls and stuff and just see some stuff that not a lot of people get to see. Real, that's a, that's a magical time. If you're gonna plan a trip, I jump on that. Sounds like we need to be there. Absolutely. Mm. All right, we'll catch you guys next week. Will, thanks for joining us and tell us about uh, the Captain Goes West, uh, the Deuce. Yeah, <laughs> he made it happen twice, two years in a row. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, else. we really appreciate you having you on, man. It's always a good. Thanks time. for coming. Until next always time. Great. <laughs>